Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I'm worried driving the car with obviously and CT test. I'm not going to give this any more credence. I'm not going to let the person win. I will not be a victim. We have nothing to put the patient onto, so they're safer on an ambulance trolley. What I did in the morning, TJ, is crack. It's like a herding. Join the conversation. Call 0818 96 96 96. Extra WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan. Good morning to you. Good morning, good morning. I hope you're well. What a beautiful morning. It's even more beautiful than yesterday. Lovely, peaceful feel about the uh, the skyline out here and looking out across the city and I'm sure beyond out into the county, it's going to be a beautiful day. Let's forget about the fact that we've got rain on the way, heavy rain tomorrow. Um, I hear that the good weather, the real good weather is back next week. But let's just focus on the day that's there right now. It's beautiful, beautiful looking out of the two spires out on the skyline here. I hope you're well. I hope you had a nice evening. I hope the morning started well. It's Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ Coogan, who's away for a couple of weeks on his holliers. And uh, we'll be with you for the next fortnight, which is um, wonderful. If you enjoyed yesterday, so lots more to come as well. 083 396 96 96. That's the text and WhatsApp number. Phone number is 0818 96 96 96. And the email address is opinion at 96fm.ie. Just a quick glance at uh, the Echo this morning. Uh, photograph of Cork City firefighters and supporters of the fire station in Ballincollig who attended the council meeting at City Hall where they were seeking the reopening of the fire station. There was a very fiery debate according to Breda Graham who was there for the echo in uh, the council chamber yesterday evening as councillors voted against the immediate reopening of Ballincollig Fire Station. A motion that the council would resolve to reopen the station immediately with a full-time fire service was defeated at the special meeting of the council uh, as part of the next stage of the process talks are scheduled to take place tomorrow at the workplace relations committee commission um it was confirmed by national guidance it was said that it has always been a station ground served by a retained fire crew this was according to city council ceo Anne doherty she highlighted that balancholic station ground has an incident rate of approximately 230 incidents per year as we mentioned yesterday, many of these are now road traffic accidents. In comparison to the existing full-time fire station at Anglesey Street, which has approximately 1,541 incidents per year, and Ballyvalan, which has approximately 1,100 incidents per year. Ballincollig, the, the, the hub of the, the town as it is now, 
and it is a town per se, is 23,000. The population as of now is 23,000. That doesn't take into consideration the hinterland, okay, uh, both north and south and further west. And consequently, if anything happens, as you heard yesterday, it's down to the likes of Anglesey Street and Ballyvolan and a couple of the other fire stations around the area to support and serve with their own vehicles. And why they think there's no need for a full-time fire station in Ballancolic, I just can't figure out what's going through their head other than they're just trying to save money. And uh, if that's the case, it's absolutely disgraceful. Um, Also today, um, interesting... Uh, survey, 80% of all adults experience back pain at some point in their lifetime. A recent study said 90% of Irish people have some form of experience of back pain. It's one of the most common causes of job-related disability and a leading contributor to work absenteeism in Ireland. So if there's 90% of people who have had or have or have a recurring back problem in relation to spine pain. And you've got to remember that if you've got severe spine pain, the spine is responsible for everything that happens within the, the body, trunk and legs and arms. So consequently, there's a knock-on effect that everything becomes unbalanced. And the pain can be very severe, not just in your spine, but in different parts of your body, to the level where you can't work, you can't operate, you've no quality of life. This study on back pain, um, at least once a week, 68% of Irish people suffer from pain and a staggering 50% of adults in Ireland have suffered from back pain for more than five years. It's so prevalent here in Ireland that financially it costs the country more than cancer and diabetes treatments combined. So we'd love to hear from you this morning because I would imagine if you have got severe back pain, there's not a lot you can do and you're probably listening to me right now because there's probably not a lot else you can do at this time of the day or throughout the day. So if you have a, you know, severe pain, it can begin abruptly, maybe as a result of an accident, uh, by lifting something heavy, it can develop over time due to age-related problems, degenerative changes to the structure of the spine. Um, If you have chronic back pain, we'd like to hear from you. You know, and it's worth mentioning here, this is something that a lot of people who don't suffer from back pain issues forget. Even after an initial injury or underlying cause of back pain has been treated, uh, it's been treated officially. And whether you're seeing a consultant or whether you're going to your GP or you're having regular physio, even though it has been officially medically treated, many people with back pain, injuries and back issues continue to have chronic severe pain for a long long time in many cases for the rest of their lives so uh, i'm going to be talking to professor colin ogara about back pain um but also about drug related matters in other words how you medicate pain how you medicate issues in your life and i'm sure many of you have heard of the drug oxycontin which uh, is It's equivalent, if not more powerful, than morphine. And I think you've got fentanyl, you've got Oxycontin, and then you've got morphine. Um, The problem is that while it's a very effective drug for chronic chronic pain, it has a hugely addictive side effect. And once you become addicted to Oxycontin, it's very, very difficult 
to find a way back from it. There's um, a movie on Netflix, if not Netflix, I think it's Disney Plus at the moment, or on Amazon Prime, and it's called Dope Sick, and it's about the OxyContin addiction issues in the state of Virginia in the United States. If you haven't seen it, it's well, well worth watching. Uh, we'll come back to that a little later. We'd like to hear from you if you have issues relating to back pain. Severe, chronic, um, it, re- repetitive where it comes back seasonally. Let us know, please. You can text us on 83 396 and the email number is opinion uh, at 96fm.ie. Um, another item we're going to touch on a little later. More than one in ten adults who are in a relationship have a secret bank account that they have not told their spouse or partner about. Okay? This is according to a new survey. Uh, the main reason for having a secret bank account is to give them a greater sense of security. Uh, some people call it their runaway bank account. Some people call it their rainy day fund. Or some people call it their escape fund. Uh, This is according to the research conducted on behalf of Aviva Life and Pensions Ireland. The research found that 13% of adults have a bank or savings account that they keep secret from their other half. Some experts refer to those having a savings account that their partner, I suppose, does not know about as being engaged in financial infidelity. A secret account gives those who have them a greater sense of security, but other reasons for being sneaky about their savings, according to the report, is that people like the idea of having something that is completely their own. One story I recall many years ago, an individual um, sitting at the tea table about to have his dinner, he says to his wife wife and children that he needed to go to the shop uh, to get his favourite cigars because he had run out of them. He'd like to have a cigar after his dinner and he just felt that he wouldn't enjoy his dinner unless he had a cigar to enjoy immediately afterwards. He got into his car and he disappeared. And he wasn't seen again for about eight or nine months. Despite Garda input and Garda investigation, the Garda searched from, uh, he just vanished and he turned up eight, nine months later, almost as if nothing, nothing had happened. Now, um, if you'd like to give us a shout, I'll just give you that number again. It's 083 396 96 now, everybody's got a Facebook page. If you don't, you've got an Instagram, you've got a Twitter, if you're heavily involved in social media. But if you're running a very big Facebook page, and when I see big, I'm talking about 100,000 followers, you're going to get bigger with 250. How about 300,000? Well, there's, a, there's a, a GAA page called GAA Crack, okay? C-R-A-I-C. It has 300,000 followers. It got wiped out this morning by the GAA. And I've got uh, Neville O'Donoghue on the line right now. Morning to you, Neville. Gareth, how are you? I'm, I'm well, thank you. The page got wiped out. Yeah, basically, um, like, I suppose some of your listeners might be familiar with GA Crack, um, yeah, as you said there, it has 300,000 followers, mm-hmm. and I got a notification, it was Saturday morning um, from Facebook, that the page has been wiped out due to the official GA um, for trademark usage of their name. Now, what's very annoying about this was, I've been building the page up for over eight years, um, there's three or four of us employed with the page. Some of your listeners might be Arsenal fans, and if you're familiar with Arsenal Fan TV, 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they had to, they had to rename their page AFTV because the football club reached out to them and told them change it to AFTV. Now I would have had no problem changing it from GA Crack to Gaelic Crack, which I've done now with our Instagram account. We're now Gaelic Crack on Instagram. We're hidden for two hundred thousand followers and that. But the GA didn't reach out to us, and the, the, the day before the All Ireland final, they just wiped it out in a very sneaky way. And I just thought. For an organisation that prides itself in um, the volunteer, the community, you know, I just thought it was very sly from, and I was very disappointed, to be honest. And surely, if they had seen the page, and I, I mean, I know the page well, they, they would know that, as you say, it's it's a bit of crack. It's it's a light-hearted look at uh, sports that are taken very, very seriously by everyone all over the country, and you're actually promoting the cause of the GAA, so therefore I would have thought they would have called you to say we're eternally grateful for what you're doing for us. Well, well, that's what I can't understand, like, like you know, I also run another page, Benchwarmers, which is, mm-hmm. that was my original page, that was the first one, and I grew other pages outside of that, so I thought, let's grow a particular page for every different sport, and one of the pages was GA Crack, so I'm not trying to be cocky here, but like, I do have a big reach with Benchwarmers also, so I used to be getting the GA out to big numbers, you know, and um, yeah, I, I couldn't understand, like, to be honest, look, I, I, I'm i not the only pages after getting wiped out in the last few weeks, there was another guy, he was telling me, GA edits, He the GA cancelled him too, and um, like, I, I just ha- can't understand it, like, as I said, we're promoting the games, reporting a bit of crack, or right, we might put up some controversial stuff every now and again, but all in all, in all the page, the reach we had was actually good for the game. And I don't know, is it because, again, my son, but like we actually had more followers than the actual GA page itself, you know? So I don't know, maybe that stuck at them a bit, like, but I just thought, you know, like have a bit of comments. Like, I think sometimes the GA, they do themselves no favors, you know? They like to make enemies. Like, when you look at the, if you watch the Sunday game, yeah. the highlight show, Joe Cannon going on about the Dylan Quirk Foundation, you know, and yeah. um, we've had we've had the GA go over the summer, you know, like um, like just have a bit of common sense and reach out to me, GA Crack, and tell us, look, lads, we're not happy with that, or change the name or whatever, and we do that no problem. Instead of just being very sneaky and sly and wiping out the page, something that I worked hard for for eight years built it up to 300,000 followers and they just do something sneaky like that. I just think it's, it was completely unfair to be honest with you. I'm just wondering, would they shut down Joe Brawley's page? I don't know, maybe someone should, like, you know. I We'll get in the queue, will we? <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I know. RT would love to shut him down, right? Like some of the controversial stuff he puts up, right? Yeah, but, but yeah, like, but yet the GAA don't seem to have a problem with the stuff he puts up. Yeah, I suppose he gets away with it, like you know. Yeah. He's like, look, I like as I said, I'm after changing the name now to the Gaelic Crack on Instagram. Right. Um, I suppose they were just able to come after us because we had the name GA in it, you know. And I suppose Joe Bradley is just representing himself. Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. Are they going to? Are, are they going to go after everyone with the name GA in their name mm. now? You know, I just think, I just think it's complete. I just think it's supposed to be an amateur organization. You know, like mm. why? For me, it's for me, it's sell. It says that they're selling out, you know, that yeah. they're just looking after the big corporates and all that. They don't care about the the crack and the, the, all that stuff anymore, like, you know. Mm. And I just think, surely they got bigger fish to fry than me, you know. But anyway, very yeah. disappointing, Gary. Have you gotten on Facebook about it? Because Facebook take page pages like yours very seriously. Um, 
you know, 300,000 followers, you have a very influential stand here in relation to what you're putting up and what your followers are also responding with. And Facebook tend to take that very seriously. The way they work, they have a, a, a sort of a hierarchy where they watch Facebook f- pages that have huge followings. So, for example, if if someone decides to imitate your page or to try and duplicate it and to take your followers away, they'll be straight on to you. So I can't understand um, why you wouldn't be able to get through to Facebook. Yeah, Garrett, I'll be I'll be fighting this tooth and nail. You yeah. know, like this is something by like, going on the radio here. This is something I don't really like. I I value my privacy. You know, but mm. for, like I said, I'm gonna go after this every way I can. But I've definitely been onto Facebook. But unfortunately, sometimes getting through to Facebook is like trying to get through to the Vatican. You know, so <laughs> that's that's why like that's why I'm like uh, I, I'm hoping that someone from the actual GA might be listening to this. Yeah. Uh, they might have a bit of common sense and reach out and go, look, there's back the page, lads. But I, but change the name. But I'm definitely, I've been onto Facebook. I'm definitely going to chase it down. But like, there's no point doing it in three weeks' time. I have to do it now, you know. So if we're going to come out fighting, it has to be this week, next week, when both all Iron finals are on. But I'm hopeful Facebook might get it back because, I, like, I can't see how the GA will actually be able to st- stand over that. That with yeah. the name GA in it, like the name GA could stand for anything, like you know, yeah. and. Um, also, like, uh, I heard of one or two other pages and they got shut down and Facebook gave it back to them, you know. So, look, all is not lost, but, look, as I said, I'm trying everything and anything. And, as I said, if anyone from the GA or anyone that has any connections in the GA, could they just show a bit of common sense? Like, look, I'm I'm actually, uh, ever since I was young, I played GA. I went to every GA match. I'm from Yall. Yall GA is my own club. I play the rugby now, but I'm into every sport. But the GA is... I love the GA, and mm. I just think anything. I was doing good for the GA, but like so, like I'd, I'd like to if the GA just showed a bit of common sense, really. You know? Yeah, like I, I know the GAA is a trademark, and it's it's probably listed as in in the patents as as being that. So therefore, if you were to bring the GAA into disrepute, I could understand why they would shut down such a popular page but 300,000 followers of GAA activities that you have nurtured over a period of time I, I don't understand it either um, yeah, I, yeah you know, I, I, I'd love to know Joe Brawley's opinion on it because I'm sure he would agree with you I will. I have to get on to him because he can turn anything, <laughs> turn anything into a storm like no he can you're, you're right when did they shut it down by the way Neville Saturday morning, so I thought it was like it was very sly, like as I said, yeah. because so you missed out on I the hurling final. I did, yeah. Like I now we still have the Instagram, and that's very popular. And to be honest with you, Instagram has a bigger reach, and it's but Facebook is still massively powerful. Yeah. But like, yeah, like as I said, like if, look, if they shot it down really in three weeks' time, you know, it wouldn't have been like. But to miss out in the the All Ireland final, and I miss out in the football again this weekend. Um, Look, I just thought it was very sly and sneaky, and I just don't think it's what the GA is all about. I don't know. Sometimes, look, I, I've been through stuff like this before, and I don't know, is it someone after getting a new job at the GA and they're trying to make a name for themselves, you know? Mm. So I I really don't know, like, you know, but look, as I said, all I was doing was I thought it was good for the GA. Hopefully, common sense will prevail, but look, I'm going to, as I said, Garrett, I'm going to, Fight this tooth and nail yeah. as best I can. You know? Don't don't give up. It's heartbreaking after all the hard work, Neville. But just give me the new, the the new names now, so that those who have been following you can now follow you again. 
the new name on Instagram is Gaelic Crack, and I haven't started a new one on Facebook yet because I'm going to hold out that we might yeah. get it. And obviously, the main page then is Benchwarmers, but like we put up a lot of soccer and football on Benchwarmers because we got a big UK audience, and that's why I set up the GA page. But Gaelic Crack, and I also got a Rugby Smacks on Instagram as well. So yeah. there's the there's the plug. But it's uh, no look. I'm hoping. Look, as I said. What's very annoying is eight years of tough slog and tough graft. You know, like yeah. like I'm not. You swear I'm flying a, flying a private jet. Like it's it's hard work. Like people ask me sometimes, what's the secret of social media? It's just hard work and keeping yeah. at it. It's like going to the gym. You know, if you yeah. keep going, you'll get the results. And that's what I did for eight years. And then for the GA to come along and do what they did, I thought it was very unfair. As I said, I wouldn't mind if they reached out and told me change the name. I'd say no problem, but I just thought it was yeah. it was bad form, really. You know? Just one question: I, I, I take it you police the page, do you? You you go through the comments that are put up from people who are following you. I do, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's can, a big, like, that's so. a very big job in itself. But I'm just thinking that, and this is something I'm conscious of myself, that sometimes comments that are put up can be regarded as. Uh, you know, if you kind of run into the whole defa- defa- defamation area with comments and that, you've got to immediately take those comments down. Um, and I'm just wondering if possibly that had happened and maybe somebody in the GAA had noticed because they have to have a reason for this. And just saying it's because you use the name GAA is not good enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I, I can understand that, Gareth. Yeah, that, that, that might be a point, but... The notification I got Saturday morning on Facebook yeah. was that because it had the name GA in it, you know. So right. whatever about anything else, that's the reason I was given. So, you know, so like that, that's all I can go on really, yeah. like, you know. But like, well, yeah, I, I, yeah, no, I, Facebook will get back to you pretty quickly on this, I would imagine, because you've got a whopping 300,000 followers. Um, so yeah. th- they won't waste time either. They will want to keep you on because you're good business for them you know um so will you let us know if they do get back to you i will gareth and thanks a million for getting me on uh it's great just to try and raise, raise yeah. awareness about this and i'll, I'll give 96 fm a, a shout out as well for having me on on whatever yeah. social media so thanks a million for that great thanks neville no matter thanks gareth Take care. Yeah. thanks a lot um yeah so it's gaelic crack now g-a-e-l-i-c if you were following GAA Crack on Facebook, okay? Um, not sure what the Facebook page will do right now, but as he said there, Neville is trying to follow it up before creating a brand new page, so we'll keep you posted on that. 26 minutes past nine, 083 396 96 96 is our number. Join the conversation! Text or WhatsApp 083 396 96 96. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Fox 96FM. Now, yesterday we were talking to Brenda Dennehy, uh, she formerly of this parish, about ghost lighting and narcissism and dating. Uh, dating, as it stands today, is light years away from what it used to be many, many, many years ago, back in the 80s and 90s. Um, and she was talking about submarining, which is when an individual who perhaps you've been dating just vanishes, literally disappears below the surface and then maybe six or seven months later they may re-emerge like a submarine just coming back up. Um, It was a fantastic conversation but also it was an insight into uh, I suppose a kind of a dark, dark side of life that many people know nothing about but many, many people who are trying to find companionship and real love 
and a relationship that they can think will last for the rest of their lives have to encounter whenever they go online. Dennis contacted the show following our conversation with Brenda about the whole ghostlighting issue on the dating scene yesterday. And Dennis is on the line right now. So tell us a little bit about your experience down through the years and particularly how dating has changed. Well, dating has changed a lot, a lot through through social media, uh, Gareth. You know, back in back back in my early days, I've never been I've been unlucky in love, I guess you could say. And uh, no, I I I, I won't say that, that I'm, I I've never been with anybody, but I haven't been anyone with anybody for for uh, a, a long period of time. If you know where I'm coming from, mm-hmm. you know, I've never had any long term relationships, um, and. Uh, what 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 the way it really has changed is um, there are lots of hackers out online who are pushing up. Even I'm, I'm, I was I was going through uh, dating dating uh, sites and and dating dating um, programs on online. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I'm what I'm noticing is uh, is you you put up your profiles and um, you. Get messages back that a lot of people are interested in in you and in meeting you and uh, in conversing with you, and they're putting up pictures of of ladies uh, in their late twenties and early thirties who are absolutely stunning looking, and um, you know I'm 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 not trying to down myself completely, and um, you know I'm just an ordinary looking guy, and. Uh, I would be just wondering how how uh, very very attractive looking ladies would be interested in you know in, in at a young a young age of thirty five or thirty six would be interested in a man who's who I give you my correct age is fifty six right would be interested in a very very young man you well, know? Yeah, well, I'd say fifty six is young. But but then again, as you say, you're wondering what maybe a 25 or a 26 year old is finding so exactly, attractive. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Gareth. You know, yeah. you know, you know, um, you know. If, if I was a very attractive looking man, <laughs> 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 you know, I'd say something. You know, but um, I'm just an ordinary Joe. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, balding and very well bald on top, and uh, you know, quite slim on on the sides. You know, I'm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've. What a plus size for me! I would say, you know, um, I've I've owned my own home for several years since since, since my early forties. You know, I've got my own my own car. Uh, I worked I work part time. You know, um, as a cleaner. Actually, I'm just an ordinary, very ordinary worker. Yeah, looking for and, uh, looking for companionship. Just looking for companionship and looking for 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 love. But there there are lots that you see see through through social media, unfortunately. And there are lots of people, people pushing, going, even hacking into people's accounts, yeah. and uh, you know, purporting to be the person that they're not, you know. Yeah. And uh, that's what I, I, I was, I would be, I would tell people, you know, both, both of both sexes to be very, very careful in communication with people. What you divulge, you know? yeah. Yeah. What you what and what you divulge about yourself? Are these you know? are these fee paying um, dating sites? They're fee fee paying sites. Well, they come up to say that that you can you can you can register for free and all of these things. But they're putting up they're not putting up pictures on lots of sites of what I would call genuine people. 
You know, right. and there's there's I I I I'll be quite honest with you, Gareth. There's there's actually I've I've even been told that there are pictures of of actresses and people um, in broadcasting, you know, yeah. from both Ireland and from abroad that have their pictures hacked and that have been put up online. Yeah, you know? that, that's yeah. that's a fact. You know, yeah, that is a yeah. fact. You know, so I I would just warn people people to be aware. Yeah. What what I would say, I've tried matchmaking also, and I've tried I've tried speed dating. I've tried um, I've tried um, uh, just ordinary dating sites, you know. And what what I thought, now this is it, this is going back a long long time ago. But what what I what I noticed about dating sites was that that a lot of a lot of I I even had had uh, had words with the person that I that I that I had. Um, that I'd um, interacted with in dating in the dating sites uh, many years ago, uh, they were sending me out with with uh, with, with, with uh, colleagues and co- um, friends of theirs, you know. All right. So, were, so the the they, they were, you're they, saying that the, the ma- dating agencies were sending me out with with friends, you know, and I con- I confronted the lady that 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 in the dating site, yeah. and I said I said. I said you sent me out with a lady who was a friend of yours, and I'd be quite honest with you, Gareth. They were they were absolutely in no way compatible with me because the the lady was a business a businesswoman, right? And she was telling me that she was flying off to New York and she was going here, there, and everywhere. You know, I'm just you, you know you've got to put like with like, Gareth, yeah. and you're and you're matching people up. You know, I mean, there's no point in in putting me together with a consultant doctor or a physician or. You know, <laughs> somebody like that. You know, that's yeah. not that ain't going to work. You know. Yeah. yeah well, you, you know? get you get your prescriptions for free anyway, I suppose. But well, that's apart, true. <laughs> apart from that, there, there mightn't be very much else in common between There's the two. There's nothing else in common, though. Is there really? Yes. yes <laughs> they might spot yeah. the, the onset yeah. of flu or whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah and yes, you know? when you, when you said that you, you said earlier on that you, you you've never found yourself in a lasting relationship, was that your decision, or was that the decision of the person? The perhaps of, that you, of the of the of the other the person really right. but, you know you know yeah. and you know I like to think myself as a kind person you know and uh, I like you know I like to think of myself as, as I'm old fashioned and gentlemanly yeah. you know and I know the world is changing a lot you know I'm even afraid to <laughs> this might sound very very corny but I'm actually afraid to even at, at times to say hello to ladies because you know I'm kind of they kind of some people kind of look at me as if I, if I have ten heads Right. I say hello, you know. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know whether social media has caused this in our world or what, you know. But people just don't don't. You know, I know there are terrible things happening in the world. You know, there. Are, I mean, ladies are are and females are pushing up with terrible things of people. You know, mm. and you know, I I think all this cat calling. I I I would agree with that many many years ago. I would never dream of of whispering or or, yeah. or doing things like that to a lady, you know. There was you know? A, there was a time, Dennis. I don't know whether you remember it. You're probably too young. Magazines like Ireland's Own would have um, a dating page, so yeah. for men, and then they'd have a section for women, and yeah. a lot of the a lot of the men were 
farmers and openly admitted they were lonely farmers looking for companionship with a lifelong woman. Um, But but I suppose when you take it back, that was back in the 60s and 70s, say, when you bring it up to today, you've got the likes of Tinder and you've got this speed dating where you swipe to the left and you swipe to the right. Yes, absolutely. Like, would you agree that's not really dating? No, it's not, because... You're, you're, I, I seem, I seem similar to what you were speaking about on, on, on dating sites, you know. They put up pictures of, of ladies and, uh, you know, do you want to meet her and swipe no and swipe to the right for yes and, you know. Yeah. Um, I think that's very, very, um, I think it's, it's derogatory, really, you know, because, you know, um, we're, we're all beautiful. Yeah. It's, sh- own, it's shallow. It's, way. It's, it's shallow. very, very shallow. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Who, I mean, I, I put, let's, let's be honest, Garrett, you know, who doesn't want to be with the beautiful woman or for, for the, the lady who doesn't want to be with the beautiful man? Yeah. But, you know, we've got to live in reality also, you know? <laughs> very and, you much. Know, you know? Um, and as you say, we have to live within our means. Uh, you know, if you're going to end up with a high-flying broker who's going to jet off premier class to New York. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not compatible with somebody like that. Yeah. You know, no, I have done several, I've traveled a lot of the world, even for, you know, for yeah. a person of, of, of um, low means. I've, I've, been, I've been to quite, quite a bit of the world. And uh, that's, that is my passion, really. I like travel. Um, I'm a non-drinker and non-smoker, and uh, you know I'm not seeing. I'm not really into pub scene and things like that, or clubs. And, and do you, you th- do you think that limits your? It possibly does, yeah. Derek. You know, yeah. yeah I, I, I my reason for giving up for giving up alcohol was I, I just I just was in my younger years. I um, I just went too heavy on drink. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, for that reason, I, I I gave up drinking. You know. Yeah. You know, I don't mind anyone having a social drink, but I certainly. I wouldn't be into the pub scene or people that mm-hmm. that are going to the pub every week, weekend and things like that. You yeah, know? have yeah, you have, in 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 you your know? in your time and in your efforts on these dating sites? Have you come across a promiscuous side to them? Um, I uh, there's there's a lot of people that are just that are just out looking for people for sex. Um, per, well, there's a lot looking for sex as well. You know, yeah. I got I, I I was getting you know, dirty pictures from people as well at times, you know, and, uh, you know, I, you know, mm. um, you know, you really have got to get to know somebody before, and, you know, and I, and I don't, I don't particularly, I, I would never dream of putting, of putting explicit, 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 uh, bad, mate. I'm, I'm getting explicit, uh, bad Ph- images of myself. Photographs, yeah. Of myself online to yeah. anyone. You know, yeah. and I wouldn't ex- I wouldn't really expect to have that back. You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not on sex sex sites and things like that. You know, that certainly wouldn't mm. be my. You know, I'm just I'm just looking for for a nice uh, uh, lady for a relationship really as such. You know, yeah, who's, um, who's, just like everybody else. Who's you know? as as yeah. kind as you sound, and uh, I, I wish you, you know? well, Dennis. If she's out there, thank you very much. Maybe she's listening Sorry, today. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe she's yeah. listening today. You know, and. Um, um, as you, as you know, you, as you have my number, you know, yeah. and uh, I'd be very, I'd be very willing to to uh, take texts from people initially, right? You know, before a call, um, you know, just just for for both parties to be on to be safe, you know. Um, right. I wouldn't like to, I wouldn't like to, um, you know, uh, I, I'd prefer a converse a conversation 
through texts, you know, yeah. for, for, of for course. a start off uh, of before course. I'd ever meet anyone, just to protect both parties. Yeah, well, that's, the, know, that's, the, advice, yeah. that's the advice yeah. that yeah. most of the yeah. official authorities yeah. would you know? give anyway, you yeah. know. Well, look, yeah. it, it would be lovely to think that we found love for you on the opinion line here on 96FM. <laughs> but I wish you well, Dennis. Well, and thank you very much, Gareth. And uh, I, as, as I said, it's great to see you back on the airwaves again, Gareth. Thank you. And I wish you a very, very speedy recovery, you know. Thank you so well, much, Dennis. It was lovely Dennis. talking to you, Gareth. You too. And, uh, Thank you very much for all your help. Take Thank care. You. Thanks a Thank lot. you very much, Gareth. Thank Bye-bye. It's the Opinion Line with Gareth O'Callaghan and the number 0833 96 96 96. If you would like to comment or if you'd like to talk to us, you can phone us on 0818 96 96 96. Join the conversation. This is the Opinion Line. With Hidden Hearing, focused solely on your hearing health for over 35 years. They're all ears. Visit hiddenhearing.ie. Cork's 96 FM. Let me show you what it's all about. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. I'm the fella in the afternoons that plays the best tunes from this lot. Hi, this is Taylor Swift. Hey, I'm Dermot Kennedy. Hi, I'm Lizzo. I'm also the guy that's just always dishing out the best prizes on the radio in Cork. This is amazing. I'm actually so happy. Thank you so much. You made my day. Midday to four, make sure you've got the radio on and make sure you're with me. Simon, how are you? How's it going? Fantastic after receiving this one, Carl. Let me show you what it's all about. Check it out. Simon Murdoch. Midday to 4 p.m. on Cork's 96 FM. In life, it's always good to be flexible to be open to new ideas and put yourself in the driving seat to get what you need. That's why at Alliance, our insurance policies revolve around you so you only pay for the cover you need and not for the things you don't. Visit Alliance.ie to save 15% on your car insurance and 10% on your home insurance today. Alliance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. Standard acceptance criteria, minimum premiums and terms and conditions apply. Heading out on the water this summer? CH Marine is right on your doorstep with a huge range of water sports and marine equipment. Whether you're kayaking, boating, supping or sailing, CH Marine has an excellent choice with large stocks and plenty of help and advice. They stock life jackets, wetsuits, fenders, pumps and so much more. So, visit CH Marine's mega stores in Cork or Skibbereen or check out their website, CH marine.com Sick of the cheesy chat-up lines? Are you a parking ticket? Because you have fan written all over you. Do desperate daters give you the ick? Is your name Google? Because you've got everything I've been searching for. Find someone genuine today without the need for terrible chat-up lines at 96fmdating.ie If you were a vegetable, you'd be a cucumber. <laughs> Register for free today at 96fmdating.ie Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cork's 96FM. Now, some of your comments this morning on 083 396 96 96. Uh, in relation to dating, uh, caller says the problem with the points that Dennis is making this morning, and I'm not referring to him in particular, is that a lot of people in that age, groups, uh, age group are looking for eye candy and not a proper relationship. It's a bit of a trophy situation. This can change the attitude of women on dating sites. I think actually he said the complete opposite. He said he's looking at eye candy in terms of the photographs, but uh, the 
the real thing, as it turns out, when they do eventually show up for the date, uh, is far from what he was looking at on the dating site. That's something, certainly in retrospect, many years back when I was on, I tried a couple of those dating sites uh, years ago. Very happily married, I have to say right now. But, uh, I, uh, and I'm not saying right now, I mean forever, but uh, but right back then the thing about dating sites was that you see the photograph and you see the profile and in many cases if you do decide to meet up it's a very different state of affairs but uh, I think things are probably even more different in many ways uh, right now now um, Annette is in Mallow hi Annette Good morning, Gareth. How are you? Very well, thank you. This is a fascinating subject because I remember years, years ago, um, before I, I met my wife, uh, I, I was one of those early 50-year-olds who hadn't really an interest in uh, the flirty side of the dating scene. I, I thought for a while, maybe I will find my life partner here, but it very quickly dawned on me that it wasn't going to be on a dating site that I would find her. So I tended I just gave up at that stage and I, I kind of reached that stage in my life where I thought well grand sure like I'll I'll write a few books and I'll present it sort of my favourite songs on the radio and I'll be happy as a sort of a bachelor sailing through life what, what, What's your own situation? Well yeah like I was telling Fergal there I am um, single actually going on 11 years now and um like that, I have got on some of the dating sites and stuff, and I found that the majority of the men that I've come across, that I've gone on to meet, we'd say, after being in, you know, messaging for a while, what they say on their profile, you know, as in the type of woman that they'd like and so on and so forth, doesn't actually transcribe to be the sort of person that they, they ultimately would want to be with. Like, I'd be fairly outgoing, you know, I'd have... I wouldn't say strong political views, but do you know what I mean? I can yeah. hold my own in a fairly intelligent conversation. And they they just didn't seem to like that, if you know what I mean. Even though they kind of said, oh, you know, yes, I'd love to meet somebody who's outgoing, who knows their own mind, who's independent and so on. But when it comes down to it, that's not what they wanted afterwards, you know. And I'm not saying like I was, you know, talking over them or anything like that. It wasn't mm. like that. But it was just, you know, and then I, I just don't know. I just could never get what, what, what it was. I mean, I just never found anyone who put on their profile, said what they said, and then actually went on to mean it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, yeah. It, it just <laughs> always nice. seems to be something different. Yeah. Very, very much so. Yeah, mm. complete contrast to what you were yes, expecting. Yeah. exactly, exactly. This is it. And so, like, I would just literally, every so often I go, right, I'll have another look and see if there anything anybody decent that looks as if they're, they say what they mean and, you know, might message somebody for a couple of days or whatever. But it never really transcribed too much more than that. You know, there just doesn't seem to be anybody with a whole pile of integrity out there. Yeah. And um, you, can like obviously, I mean, with your experience of the dating scene, when you look back at the, the attempts to try and not even find someone who you could consider to be a lifelong partner. Mm -hmm. But what what were your first impressions of the people generally that you met? Um, I suppose like everything else, you know, you kind of put your, your best foot forward if you're going on your first date and so on and so forth. So like, you know, it was all very nice and everybody was kind of, for want of a better way of saying it, everybody's on their best behaviour, you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but 
you know, if it did, you know, go on from there. Sorry, there's a dog in the back in here. Um, <laughs> especially the small one. She's got the largest voice in the house. Um, <laughs> she's a chihuahua and she's just unbelievable. Stop. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so it, it's just like, it, 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 I just found that, you know, you're on your best behavior for the first couple of dates or first date even. And after that, then the kind of the cracks would appear as in, you know, they, they weren't quite as um, outgoing as they said they were, or they weren't um, as, how do I put it, as a, as a 100%, we'd say, non-political. If they said they were non-political, turns out they were, or vice versa for other stuff, you know? Yeah. And it's just like, it's like as if they were putting stuff up in the profile that was not true, but designed to, to kind of make themselves seem more um, dateable, but then when you actually got on the date, they weren't like that at all. Because you weren't like their mammy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> See, this is partially the problem as well, you know. And like, I mean, you get to my age, and I'll be 49 next month, you know, I just, I'm done with the BS. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I can see through somebody pretty, pretty quickly, you know. And I'm just like, can you just not be, just be honest. If you're going to put yourself up in a dating profile, be honest about who you are, what you want and what your expectations are. And I, I find myself getting frustrated and going, is that too much to ask these days? Mm. Is and that really too much to ask these days? You strike me as being um, strong-willed, independent and, <laughs> and no, and, and rightfully so, opinionated based on, on what you know. Does that scare men? I think so, guys. I think so. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not a pushover. You know what I mean? I'm not a, a fool. I don't look at the world through most tinted glasses. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And I think perhaps some people do find that um, daunting. They, they, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a wallflower. You know what I mean? And I, th I think a lot of men, or not a lot of men, the majority of men that I've come across are intimidated by that. Mm. They are intimidated by that, you know. Just, uh, I'm kind of, kind of just trying to imagine a picture here. When, when you did meet some guys, was it over mm. a drink, or was it? Did you, did you move to the stage of having dinner together? Um, oh, I've gone. Yeah, I've done that. I've gone for like coffee or you know a quick lunch, quick bite. You know what I mean? Um, we've done all of that. Yeah, I've done all of that. And um, I, again, I suppose it, it's just. I think you probably hit the nail on the head, Garrett, there really, isn't that? Like, you know, men just find it intimidating to somebody who is, you know, opinionated and, and is not afraid to say what she feels or what she wants, you know? And would you uh, would you both be chatty over the meal or would yeah, you both be quiet yeah. while you're eating? Oh, absolutely. No, we'd both be chatty. I mean, uh, Gareth, I, c I couldn't be quite to save my life, <laughs> you know? I, I just, well, that, I mean, that's God why love I do it. this job. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I can't. There's, yeah. there's no two ways about it. I can't be quiet. The only time I'm quiet is when I've got a hangover. That's it, <laughs> you know? Let's be honest about it. <laughs> Even today, I've got a blocked library gland and I'm having trouble talking, and it still doesn't shut me up. No. You know? <laughs> so uh, I'm just, <laughs> I'm not a shrinking yeah. pilot, and that's no. it. And I, I think some people just do find that intimidating and what what really bugs me is that even though I am this person I'm outgoing and, and so on and so forth I still am the, I'm still the same as anybody else underneath I still do find it lonely not having yeah. somebody in my life of course, you know of course and like there's been times when 
when you're on your other radio show, should we say, and you do your lovely tributes, you know, you get these special letters in. Yeah. I, I actually have to turn it off because I, it's hard to listen to. Listen yeah. to people who are so genuinely happy. It's great for them, but mm. it's not easy to listen to when you're like this, you know, for 11 years. Now, mm. I have a great life. You know what I mean? I have a great life. But there's always something missing. And I'm just curious in relation to the, 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 the dating sort of dates w- w- were you the one who decided that the guy you met wasn't the right guy or was it the guy who decided that he didn't want to meet you again I would say probably 50-50 yeah probably 50-50 and when you were rejected did, mm. did you feel let down did you feel yes. shocked yes. yeah yes yes very much so um and, uh, and I mean, it's not like I was thinking, oh, my God, they're going to fall in love with me because I'm this amazing person. It wasn't that. But I just thought, well, you know, I was just being myself. And, you, you know, logically, you're, you're in your mind, you're going, yeah, of course, not everybody is going to like you. So it's perfectly OK that this person doesn't think that you're the person for them. But inside it does get to you, you know, because you're going, to, well, I was just myself. Like, what else am I yeah. supposed to be? You know, and you do, you get disheartened and you just stop. You just stop. I mean, I couldn't even, I, the last date I was on was, was before COVID. Right. And yeah. I wouldn't even contemplate going on one now. I just, you just feel like you're, you're getting yourself ready. You're, you know, getting yourself in the right mindset and so on and so forth and putting in this effort to go out and you just end up feeling let down again yeah. so it's like oh, listen will, will you stay on the line because I, I just sure. I, we're, we've got to take a little break for news but I'd love to chat to you in a couple of minutes if that's okay sure so if no you bother. grab a cup of tea and I'll chat to you shortly okay no problem okay thank you Annette good morning to you Gareth O'Callaghan here for PJ who's away for a couple of weeks so uh, we're minding the shop for him for the next fortnight or so the Ticketmaster site is down okay it's not working so if you've been trying to get your allocated uh, raffle number for the Coldplay tickets uh just give yourself a breather and come back to it maybe in a couple of hours. I think it's probably crashed. Where have the days gone where you can just rock up to your local record shop and buy a couple of concert tickets? Like, seriously, is it really... Have we really got to a stage where, you know, we'll be buying them off artificial intelligence eventually at some stage, you know? You'll be able to even ring a robot and actually say, uh, what's the story with tickets? You're not getting them. I'm keeping them myself. Oh yeah, that's on the way for sure. But bring back the old record stores. Golden Discs, great to see them still thriving. And uh, it'll be lovely to be able to go in there and buy a couple of tickets for uh, the Coldplay gig. Anyway, more on that later. Now, we're talking about dating and dating disasters and dating disappointments. A couple of comments here. Dennis sounds lovely. Maybe he should try different sports clubs and meeting groups instead of these dating apps and matchmaking. He might find someone that way. He sounds like a lovely guy. We need more guys like him. I'm on a dating app. My God, they only want sex, not real people. Their dating app is not great. That's Marie. Uh, Send them on a date together, Maeve says. Annette, what do you think of that? (laughs) <laughs> that's brilliant <laughs> matchmaking on 96 FM how bad that's it yeah the opinion line and the dating line thrown in a little yeah, more absolutely Thank, we were chatting to you before the news and, and I hope you made sure. yourself a cup of tea and, and uh, <laughs> just we'll take a few more minutes here I'm just curious to know outside of dating online um like, were there times when you'd go to a, a club or you'd go to a party hoping that you might meet somebody? You know, some somebody said here, actually, great place to meet people these days uh, is at weddings. <laughs> yeah, that's probably true, yeah. Mm. Um, 
I suppose I, I would definitely prefer the more um, natural way of meeting somebody, which is, as you would say, you know, being out socially and just by chance meeting this person and, and finding there is a bit of a spark or connection there, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, that definitely is the most preferred way. But you see, the problem there, there Gareth, is, is that you, from a safety point of view as well, you've got to be so blooming careful these days because you just yeah. don't know who you're dealing with. And I mean, and that doesn't matter where you meet that person, you know, or where you would run into somebody. But it's just, you know, you've, you've got that. You just got to have to have your safety in in mind, probably to the forefront of your mind for the most part. Um, and I, I suppose I wouldn't be a massive social butterfly. I wouldn't be out that much either, you know. Mm. I tend to spend a lot of time with dogs and mind dogs. So yeah. <laughs> dogs are great. Oh, yeah. I, I know they they really really are. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so I mean, I, I suppose I just wouldn't be out that much, you know, I wouldn't be a massive social butterfly. And then again, when you're out, I, I tend, I see mostly it's like the 20, 30 year old group, I suppose, where these people are still in the, the first flush of it all. And, you know, probably are looking for somebody to settle down with, to get married, to have children. And I've been there, I've done all that and I've no interest in doing it again. You know, yeah. I've gone past that stage in my life quite happily so. Someone's here. Someone's saying here. Um, has Annette tried Tinder? Do you know something? Can, yes. I, can I just say relation? I've never been on Tinder, and I've. I'm, I'm, oh, don't. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, you're fine without it. It's believe an, me, it's an age thing, and I'll I'll go, I'll go out on a limb here by saying this. I think people in their forties, late forties, and fifties, and sixties who are on Tinder, mm-hmm. uh, seriously, you, you, questions should be asked there. You know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, so Tinder t- is not the place for them. No, it's not. But no. then I, I also get the feeling, and this was one of the reasons why you got in touch this this morning Ireland's own is probably not for you either because <laughs> no no and as I said it was it was actually handed to me just yeah. at the weekend and because uh, somebody said there's an article in there you'd like so I read it and I just kept going I just read the rest of the magazine and yes there is the, the exactly that you know there is um, there is still people looking for companionship and and, and uh, love and all that and mm. their their ads are still in in the Ireland's own but like again that age demographic is more much, much, um, much older than I would be. Yeah. So, you know, Ireland's own definitely wouldn't be for me, yeah. you know. So, um, but the sad fact is, though, Gareth, as I was sitting there reading it, I thought, you know, maybe I should write a letter in them. I thought, Jesus, and it's only 48, like, you know, stop. Mm. <laughs> you know, that's part mm. of a way. But you do get to this stage at 48, or I find it anyway, and I don't know if there's many other women out there, but, like, you do kind of despair because it's like, well... What else am I supposed to do? You know what I mean? I would love to have somebody in my life. I would never get married again. I'm not into that. I like my independence. I like my time to myself. Um, But I I would would love to have somebody that I could say, right, let's go out for dinner. Let's go to the cinema. Let's go whatever, you know. Mm. Let's go on a mini break even. But it's just... it's just impossible, basically. And so you get you get defeated, you feel despair, and you're like, oh, I just don't bother anymore. Yeah. Just don't bother. And how you about know? a nice single farmer maybe around North Cork somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> you see, a farmer now, I have no problem with farmers in, in a sense, but I, I do believe farmers are, are um, married to the farm. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is fine and that's good for them. You know, that's obviously their life. But I, I don't see myself as being a farmer's companion. 
And I could be totally wrong, but I don't think so. Okay, you know, it's been a joy talking to you, and I I really hope you 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 find that someone, that elusive someone, very soon. Oh well, you never know. We'll we'll keep positive and see what happens. You know, we'll see what happens. Great to chat to you. Thanks so much. Thanks Thanks a million. Love to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, Sarah says, uh, Gareth, hill walking is all the rage in Cork. I know, forty or fifty people heading off most weekends to hill walk a rock climb in Cork and Kerry might be a nice opportunity to meet people uh that's from sarah yep uh quite a few very very popular uh hill walking groups around cork and i know they're probably listening this morning um it's a great way to meet people also walking holidays abroad this was something that somebody mentioned earlier uh the island of menorca they do a lot of summer single walking holidays so you arrive on your own and everyone else there is also on their own so you can make what you want of that. But if you go online, there are these um, walking holidays, you know, in the Balearics, uh, the likes of Ibiza and uh, Menorca. Um, Michael, morning to you. Garrett, good morning and welcome back to the Opinion Line. Good Thank to hear you, you so back on yeah, the radio. Again. Lovely, yeah. lovely. It's great. And I'm so grateful to PJ well, for giving me the keys. Well, there you are. And, 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 and the excellent team you have around you there oh, yeah. also, of course. We, yeah. we have to mention them. They make Listen, me shine. Some very interesting discussions there, and you seem to have had some very genuine people there with you who would very much appreciate maybe some companionship or whatever. Now, like yourself, I'm speaking from the point of view of somebody whose wife who has tolerated me for almost 55 years, (laughs) despite the fact that she has threatened on a few occasions. To it was time to release me and, oh, and, right. and replace me. But however, in my Put case... Put you out to graze. However, in my case, the, the last time she threatened to replace me, I was, 50, I was 55 years old and running 10 and 15 miles a day. Wow. And when she threatened, to, she threatened to replace me because she said she wanted to learn ballroom dancing. And she gave me two choices. Either learn ballroom dancing or be replaced by an older, more decrepit man, <laughs> but one who could dance. So mm. that brings me to my point. Now, mm. you mentioned hill walking, and there is a very interesting activity that is also healthy and, uh, you know, the, the opportunity of meeting people with the same interests. And I would just like to throw out to some of those people, and this is, this is not for everybody, of course, and the fact that it is for my wife and myself is something else. But, for instance, there's lots of dancing. There are lots of dance classes around the city. Now, there's ballroom classes, Argentinian sango classes, salsa classes, rumba classes that are held in various places around the city. Mm-hmm. They're, they're held, the salsa, of course, are more for the younger. My wife sent me off learning salsa at the age of 60, in fact, and didn't join me herself, but sent me off. Uh, but there are classes that would cater for all age groups. Now, in addition, there's lots of social dancing. Now, unfortunately, would you believe that in a city the size of Cork, there is only one location on a Sunday night at the moment where there is social dancing. All the other dancing is, takes place outside of the city. Where, there, where is that? Well, for instance, Carrick Tool now, the, so the, the community centre in Carrick Tool <coughs> is one place. Watergrass Hill, if, if anybody of a certain vintage are available, every Wednesday afternoon between four and six, there's a very nice dance up there. Uh, good floor, plenty of space. Uh, Glenville, Cates County in Glenville, Sunday night, fantastic location. Last week there were maybe 100, last Sunday night there were maybe 150 people there. Fantastic location. Um, lots of people of us, now there would be, let's 
uh, I'm, I'm coming up to 78 myself now. So slightly older people, I would say. You wouldn't get that many younger people attending these. But these are locations, you know, where people could attend. Uh, if I use the term, everybody basically knows everybody because the same people travel around dancing. And if I use the term nice people. Now, your last caller there mentioned that she wouldn't like to see herself tied down with a farmer. But with all due respect to farmers, we meet a lot of farmers. Mm. Because farming apparently has changed now, and they're not tied to the land, I would say, as much as the old days. We meet a lot of farming persons at these dances who just like to go out, you know, social activity, meet people of their own vintage, and get some exercise. So perhaps, you know, people who would like to to meet some nice if I use the term nice, respectable people, uh, because, again, security, as, as this lady was just mentioning, yeah. you know, safety and security, and I, I'm not into modern technology myself, so this type of thing would not be of interest and concern to me. And bear in mind, I have a wife and a dance partner also, so I'm happy enough in that respect. The same but person, is it, Jess? The same person, yes, yes, the same person, <laughs> the same person, indeed. <laughs> but, but you know, when, you know, safety and security, you don't know who you're going to meet online, but at least if you go into a location where you have 60, 80, 100 people, mm. and, and most people will know each other, there's safety there. You meet people there, then, you know, and, and particularly for any men out there, and you probably know this already, but any dance location, wherever we go, there's a, a serious shortage of single, unattached men, let's put it that way. Right. Serious shortage. So men will always be very welcome, not saying the ladies are not welcome, but it's just a thought for people out there who feel they might need to, to socialize a little in, 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 a, in a reasonably, in a safe environment with, with genuine nice people who are basically interested in dancing. And look, I, I'm aware of certain uh, couples who have met through dancing and they've lasted quite a few years now, you know. So mm. it's just a thought for people out there who just might like to engage in certain social activity. They will find the dance classes on various uh, sites online, I'm sure. Uh, we, we don't attend dance classes ourselves now at this point, uh, gone beyond that. Mm. But, um, but there are opportunities, you know, to go get out of the house for, for two or three hours or whatever and meet nice people and then social dancing. Now, uh, Middleton is another place, the GA Club in Middleton. Uh, for instance, uh, on Friday night next, now my wife and myself will travel to Kilbenny down outside Mitchellstown for a dance. Right, right. And Kilbenny was a place where we, we got our ballroom dance lessons many, many years ago. Right, right. So those, those are just some thoughts for people who might be listening and some ideas for them, you know, dance classes or just to go along to these functions. And look, people say, look, I can't dance. Well, look, this social dancing is not, uh, is not uh, for, I won't say it's not for serious dancers, uh, serious dancers go there also. But the majority of people are just there for the social side of it. Okay. You know, and they keep moving around the floor and they meet people. So it's just a thought, Gareth. It's a great thought. People can put that in their minds. And thank you for giving me the opportunity of expressing it. But uh, Wednesday afternoon, every Wednesday afternoon, four to six, if people are around uh, Watergrass Hill there, the community centre, there's a lovely dance there. 60, 80, 100 people there every Wednesday. Great. Great to talk to you, Michael. Thanks very much, and Gareth, regards to Christine, right your Thanks, wife. Sir. Thank you. Okay. Um, actually, a long time since um, I remember many, many, many. Uh, late nights and weekends driving through Kilbehany, which of course is now bypassed because of the M8, just there at uh, in the foothills of Bally Brownie Mountain. Uh, you tend to kind of do a little bit of geography when you're travelling around the country, but um, many, many years back.
Kilbehny. Hello to everybody in Kilbehny. Liam Corcoran. Liam, how are you? Good morning. How are you, Gareth? I'm great, thank you. Lovely to hear from you. Now, you found love on Facebook. Ah, uh, yeah. Second time second time round. Mm, tell me about that. Yeah. yeah, I was married for 43 years and uh, my wife died in 2012. I had been caring for her. She had been ill for a while. And, and uh, you know, that two years later, just scrolling uh, on Facebook one and I saw this person smiling back at me and uh, and, uh, and I, I just sent a print request and uh, luckily enough I got the request back and um, I found out that she had been holidaying in West Cork in a place called Regent Screener. Yeah. And uh, asked me did I want to go down to meet up in the Celtic Cross for some lunch so I jumped on the bus as I don't drive and went to on down and met this lady and her son and we became firm friends, and, and uh, it went on. I spent uh, two weeks up and down from the city because I, I care for my daughter, who is a disabled person. And, uh, you know, it's hard to get away sometimes, so there are only certain times of the day when you could run and get down there. So we became very good friends, and uh, then uh, she went back to Germany, and, and uh, that November in 2018, I went, I went over to visit her and uh, stayed in one of our apartments in her house downstairs. And uh, for two years, we were just friends and going around places and visiting Germany. And uh, we became we became a bit more closer and, and uh, we fell in love. So I, I, I fell in love second time round. So you found love in Rena Screener? Rena Screener, well, <laughs> Rena's on Facebook. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, a place, it's a place I think you know very well, yourself and father, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, oh, because, God, yeah. I love it. We, 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 we used to be friends a long time back there on Facebook, me, me uh, myself, and you and, 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 and Paula and, and Anders, uh, uh, Anders, the saxophone player, and, and yeah. Ina and all these guys who walked out in that place outside there in ovens, you know? Yeah, yeah, I heard you indeed, yeah. yeah. That's, yeah, yeah. Oh, but, yeah but, but it's been going now. It's been going, and I've been going to Germany maybe three times a year now, and she's been coming here, and uh, we've been, you know, we've been having the time of our life. And I mean, I'm going away on the seventh of August to celebrate my birthday. I'd be eighty on the ninth of August. Happy so birthday, Liam! That's so, brilliant. So, so there's still life in the old dog, Gareth. I tell you, as Donnick O'Dooling would say, there's still life in the old dog, yes. But did, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Good old Donnick yeah. from Donnerail. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah. There's a great story about Donnick, actually. You just reminded me. He, he interviewed yeah. Eamon de Valera when he was president because Eamon de Valera went to school in Donnerail yeah. as yeah. Donnick. And Eamon de Valera said to Donnick, he said, why are you interviewing me? And Donnick said, because no one else will. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's about two. He must have been a very, very, a very yeah. So, so it's, it's a long distance relationship, is it? It is. It is, but it works. It works. It works because uh, with the uh, with the Facebook and the Messenger and, and and the FaceTime, we get together a lot and 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 we spend a lot of time uh, chatting and and stuff like that. You know. Yeah. And everyone everyone's happy. Everyone's happy. There's no problem. Oh, that's So it's it's a good story. It's a, it, and uh, you know. They say it's, sometimes it's always better second time round. But for 43 years, I was married to the same lady. So, come on. Hey, yeah. sometimes you need a bit of luck, don't you? Oh, you do. And you're, uh, do you know something? Your story will give so much hope to so many people listening, Liam. Oh, yeah, well, and, yeah, uh, sometimes we, you're lucky. We go down I to Rena Screener and dip our feet uh, in the old water there. Uh, we might, uh, they might be I've lucky. Been, I've been so, so lucky, Gareth, and yeah. I thank myself.
That's great. Liam, stay well and happy birthday hey, to you. And, you. and you too, and you stay well too. God Thanks bless. Thanks again. Thank God you so much. Bless. Liam Corkin there. What a great story. Rena Screena down near Glendore. Uh, lovely story. Beautiful location actually as well. One of the little hidden gems. Traffic news for you. Uh, there's a truck stuck again on Friars Avenue. It's causing long holdups there. And also, by the way, as you know, um, there's very heavy traffic coming in from the, uh, the, the Mallow Road, as I used to always call it, into the city centre. And that's because the turn on to McCurtain Street from where we are here, just off Patrick's Hill, is closed. So you've got to go all the way through the back streets there to come out uh, onto that area there, okay? Now, uh, as you may know, hundreds of motorists were up in arms yesterday uh, after being stuck in major tailbacks on that Mallow Road. Supposedly it's been happening every day for a while now. I think it's because of the diversion from the city out onto the Mallow Road to get back onto the Keys. Um, so has it affected you? We might get back to that later this morning, okay? Give us a shout. Uh, there are roadworks on the Mallow Road there causing the issues, so that could also be a contributing factor. If you want to give us a shout, you can text us on 0833 96 96 96. Just keep in mind that truck stuck again on Friars Avenue. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. This is the Opinion Live with PJ Coogan. Welcome back. 25 to 11 this Tuesday morning. I mentioned as we opened the show this morning um, that unbelievable statistic, an estimated 91% of Irish adults report suffering from back pain. Now, this can be from sports injuries, road traffic collisions... Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. A bad fall, lifting something heavy, and also then the inflammatory arthritis disorders and neurodegenerative disorders and that. That shooting, burning, aching pain that uh, most people who have severe back pain and back spine problems will be able to relate to. And even after an initial injury, our underlying cause of back pain has been treated. That lingering, burning, aching pain can persist indefinitely. So the question being asked, as it has been asked for so long, and it's becoming more prevalent now because of the issue of medicating spine pain and pain generally. Uh, in recent years, the spotlight has been shone on OxyContin following the Netflix documentary Dope Sick, which was a shocking film. The book is well worth reading as well. But is Oxy addiction a problem here on Irish shores? I'm joined by Professor Colin O'Gara, who's head of addiction services at St. John of God's Hospital. Good morning to you, Professor. Uh, good morning, Gareth. Is, is OxyContin becoming a problem here? Well, the opioid issue, Gareth, in terms of, um, you know, OxyContin fits in with a group of medications called opioids. Uh, listeners will be familiar with the uh, natural form of um, what we call opiates, and that would be heroin. So OxyContin, uh, Oxycodone, Codeine, um, fentanyl are, you know, much stronger versions, morphine. Um, these are all um, in the group of opioids, which are basically synthetic opiates. And um, 
we've you know the, these medications come in different forms we've had a crisis in the united states where about 600,000 people have died um as a result of these medications and there are certain you know communities certain cities that have been particularly affected do we have an opioid crisis in ireland the straight answer is no i don't think we do but we certainly have a number of alarm alarming factors that uh, we should be concerned about um you know, the first one is the internet and the availability of drugs on the internet. The second one is that in a lot of cases, these drugs are very transportable. In the case of fentanyl, they are tiny volumes of drugs and can be smuggled very easily. And the other issue is the one that you you talked about in the intro, which is pain, chronic pain and uh, the lack of maybe other um, uh, pathways in terms of treatment of pain, such as psychological treatments or, you know, research into other kind of treatments rather than just being given medication. So, mm. you know, in the States, that's what they're doing at the moment. They're looking at other pathways to try and get people to, you know, not be taking medications in those situations. But the issue is, of course, complex. And you've referred to that. There's so many people suffering pain. Uh, from different sources. Well, just to give give us a, an idea of the, the level of intensity of OxyContin compared, say, to Salpidine, and there is a problem with Salpidine probably everywhere where you can buy it over the counter. OxyContin would be a far superior pain antidote, wouldn't it? Yeah, but again, it, it, it depends on dosing. And I'll just make the, you know, put in a little rider here in terms of my expertise i'm not a pain specialist mm -hmm. i don't uh, in get you know i'm not i don't see people for um treatment of pain but what i do see people for is is addiction right. and people who have reached a point where they've lost control over intake of those particular medications but you know it's very clear from the literature that uh, oxycontin oxycodone are stronger than over-the-counter preparations but if you're taking three packs of codeine a day, which in some cases some of my patients might, uh, that's a different prospect to taking, you know, what might be recommended, the daily intake of, of, of codeine. So it really depends on um, the, the nature of the presentation in terms of what are people taking. So the point I'm making is if somebody's taking a large dose of codeine, that is going to be, you know, have, have a much greater effect than somebody who's taking much lesser doses of, say, something like OxyContin. So, and what, what, what is the recovery rate for someone who, as you say, would be taking huge amounts of doses of medication that they should be maybe just taking a fraction of? Yeah, it's it's varied, you know. To be you know to be absolutely clear, it's um, the great news is that people do attend us for detox in these situations and are successfully detoxed and never look back. There's a group of people who will struggle on an ongoing basis to you know to maintain sobriety, and they will use the drugs in a kind of haphazard way over a long period of time. And then there's a group of people as well who um, have ongoing difficulties and may have what we call comorbid addictions or dual diagnosis. So they may be drinking as well 
um, or using other drugs in addition to opioids. And the literature from the States is very clear in terms of uh, the opioid crisis. In a lot of cases, there's comorbid use of other drugs. Um, you know, in this country, we have a significant problem with cocaine at the, uh, at the moment. So you'd see the, the, um, the concurrent use of cocaine and opioids comes up in the literature in the States. And that would certainly tally with what we're seeing on the ground. The other thing I'd mention is that the staple for a lot of international cities is a comorbid use of cocaine and heroin. That combination, which is co-injected, is called speedballing and tends to be the, um, if you go, you know, go look at uh, particular um, drug clinics, say in London or the continent or even the States. Um, and if you look at many of the deaths around opioids, there's often cocaine in the picture as well, so we can't forget that as well. But, I mean, at the top with your intro, I mean, there's many facets to this problem. I mean, the opioid crisis is rooted in pain, but it's also rooted in, I mean, there's, they talk about three different spikes over, you know, many decades. But the emergence of, in certain pockets of the, of the US where these medications, where people got addicted to them, uh, and, and this was covered to, to the best of my knowledge in dope sick as well, people end up, uh, then taking cheaper versions of these drugs, such as heroin. So they couldn't get these drugs eventually, so they started taking heroin instead. So this ties in with um, uh, the literature will be very clear on helping people in these situations when they do end up addicted, um, you know, non-stigmatizing um, services where uh, addiction is treated as a medical condition and uh, not as a deficit of, of will. So, you know, the attitude towards uh, addiction is so critical. And, um, you know, we're always battling in addiction services against a huge amount of stigma. And anybody suffering from addiction suffers a lot of stigma. So that's a massive problem if we're going to get on top of uh, these difficulties. And that's been highlighted, uh, you know, to get on top of the opioid crisis in the States is to treat people who suffer from uh, from addiction with compassion and to try and uh, set up uh, services that are that are destigmatizing. How do you how do you know if you're addicted? Um, the well, I mean, of course, addiction is characterized by, you know, an intense denial and and, and this differs if, if you and I, Gareth, were to suffer from uh, if we were to go play football or something, we're both to have the same injury. We'd be able to say, "Look, we have an injury in the lower limb. It's swollen. It's red. It's it's uh, you know you, you find it hard to walk." And there's a very distinct set of symptoms. But with behavioural health, um, that is not the case. I mean, it is characterised. The individual who's suffering from the, the the condition doesn't feel they are suffering from a problem, mm-hmm. and that's that's really at the core. Of behavioral health problems so but really it's in terms of uh, indicators it's clear if somebody is using increased doses that's probably the most obvious thing so you're you know in the early stages of opioid addiction you know I would get referrals to see people taking 10 20 30 40 and anything up in terms of pills and if I'm making an assessment as to what the best care pathway for an individual is, I would be looking at the amount of tablets that, that, that somebody is taking in the first instance. With heroin, it's, it's different. You'd look at street value and how much somebody is using per day in terms of their spend. But with pills, it's, it's, it's quite 
um, useful in terms of, you know, you can quantify it. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the impact on the individual and the people around the individual. So deficits in personal relationships, work, decline of activities or hobbies, um, loss of interest, diff- uh, change in personality, overall decline in well-being and presentation. Um, you know, so so often there's subtle uh, indicators at the start, but as time goes on, uh, it becomes uh, more obvious. And this is, I suppose, one of the relative benefits of drug addiction versus, say, process addictions like gambling addiction or internet gaming addiction um, or even porn addiction is that all of these addictions are incredibly silent and nobody can see you know, they're all phone-based addictions that nobody can really tell that the person is addicted to very, very late. But in the case of drug addiction, uh, a relative benefit for the, for loved ones and people around the individual is they'll, they'll pick up on it. Yeah. And, you know, you can generally see some somebody's decline. Same with alcohol. You can really, you know, intoxication, I suppose, is the other piece. People might have a sense that with pills that somebody isn't, uh, you know, doesn't present with intoxication like somebody would with alcohol, say, falling around. But some of our cases, people present with gross intoxication with opioids. They're literally falling around at work or um, in some cases they've had um, the misfortune of getting into um, a car after, you know, being intoxicated with opioids. So they are serious. I mean, oxycontin, oxycodone and the likes are strong painkillers that come with uh, significant health hazards if they're taken um, in a, in an abnormal way. And are they easy to get hold of? Uh, like, obviously, they're they're tightly prescribed drugs, but, and I think, is it fair to say OxyContin is is, is only administered in hospital? Or can you get a prescription for, from a GP for it? I mean... I don't know offhand. I think in terms of what we prescribe here, um, we do detoxification and we would be looking to get people off the drugs. Mm-hmm. In terms of substitution, it would be important to, to mention that um, there are important, you know, this idea of taking everybody off medication. It's not practical in some circumstances. In many circumstances, we have somebody who's been taking opioids for a long period of time, and this even applies to codeine, um, you cannot realistically expect somebody to come off, say, 50 tablets a day down to nothing in a space of weeks. Yeah. Um, that can lead to um, adverse events like overdose. Um, if somebody does relapse and then start taking the pills again, so... We have substitutes. The most commonly known one would be methadone, um, which has associations with, um, you know, drug clinics. Often people don't want to attend these kind of facilities because it comes with a a heavy stigma. However, um, there are alternatives, Suboxone, um, which is a naloxone and a buprenorphine combination, um, is a very important drug which can be used as a substitute in the correct environments. And this has been done in uh, drug clinics in Ireland at the moment. Um, buprenorphine was made available, say, pr- approximately five years ago. 
and is a is a useful drug that can be prescribed if somebody's chaotically taking various amounts of over-the-counter codeine, for instance, or indeed OxyContin. That can cause significant damage to, say, the liver, the stomach, the small bowel, and to get somebody off those drugs, which also contain paracetamol, get them onto a another safer opioid, and then that's reduced in a controlled fashion in the outpatient setting, that can save people's lives, you know? Yeah. So um, a lot of it, Garrett, is knowledge because when people hear about addiction, often people just shut off and there is such a heavy stigma associated with it. So a lot of this is it's, it's imparting knowledge, letting people know there are treatments, effective treatments that work and that get people from that chaotic situation of taking multiple pills a day down to nothing but that there's a beginning, middle and end to it and that there are services available. Now, I'll just mention just very quickly the the fact that, you know, treatment and service provision is a huge issue in all of the literature in the States and the opioid crisis they talk about and the lack of availability of services and the exact same applies in Ireland. So, you know, psychiatry comes down the pecking order, I would say, in terms of service provision. It certainly has, if you looked at it for the last 20 years. Um, it, it hasn't got the funding that it should have got, and then addiction is further down the pecking order again. So if we want to treat this issue, and this then strikes at the whole drug issue in general in terms of our issue with you know illicit drugs and so-called recreational drugs, if we want to be serious about that, uh, addressing those problems, not just oxycontin, oxycodone, but the whole drug drug problem in, in general, and indeed alcohol and other addictions, we have to start with funding. And the um, currently the nationally service provision for addiction is deficient, and and that needs to be improved. And it has been for many many years. Correct. Yeah, Colin, thanks for sharing your expertise with us. It's always great to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gareth. Take, Take care. care. Thank you. Professor Colin O'Gara, their Head of Addiction Services at St. John of God's Hospital. Our comment line 083 396 In relation to various items that we've been covering today, dating, disasters, disappointments, uh, Marie says, is there any club out there for people my age 60? A woman can't go out on her own. They look at you as if you're only there for a hookup. My God, what has happened to the world? Uh, what has the world come to? I lost my husband 15 years ago. Yes, get very, very lonely. Thank you for that, Marie. Um, uh, Gareth, this is from Shiona. She says, great to hear you taking over for PJ while he's on holidays. I'm like that lady, four years if not more for me. Not in a panic, online, absolutely not. I am fussy, yes. Very difficult these days though. Wealthy farmer, nice gentleman, has to love animals and horses. They're the prerequisites. Thank you, Shiona. And the baldy barber says, Gareth, let's bring back dear Frankie. Join the conversation. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Cox 96FM. Now, imagine taking two weeks out of your busy schedule and you decide, rather than go on a cruise or rather than go on a package holiday, that you spend the two weeks going to as many cities on board the train as you possibly can. So you're abroad, so let's say you get on the train here in Kent Station, you go to Dublin, then you get the ferry to... Liverpool or to Hollyhead and you get the train down and then you get the tunnel through the tunnel into France and you take in as many 
track journeys and as many train journeys. How does that appeal to you? I think it's fascinating. It is summertime. More people are travelling than ever before. Rebecca Daly from the Irish Times has just returned from an incredible trip of a lifetime and she joins me now. Was it amazing, Rebecca? It was. It was absolutely great, I have to say. Yeah, and that is literally what you did. You boarded the train and you said, right, I'm leaving from this point and who knows where I'm going to end up. Yeah, that's it. So what we did was we took um, about 18 days of annual leave from our jobs and we went um, to 10 cities. So we started off in Leuven in Belgium and then got the train from there to Amsterdam, then Berlin, Prague, Venice, Verona, Lake Como, Milan, Florence, and then spent a few days in Rome before flying home. And when you compare rail travel there in all of those different countries to rail travel here, what 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 are the differences? What's it like? Oh, it's completely different. Um, when we were in Italy, uh, most of the trains um, had people on board who were giving you like complimentary bottles of water and a snack and stuff like that. And we didn't know what was going on. We It was nothing that we had experienced before, but uh, it was great. Absolutely can't complain about that. And take me back to the beginning, like the, you got the whole idea and what did you do then? How did you get to the stage where you boarded the train? It sounds like a fairly complex plan. Yeah, so we knew that we wanted to go to Berlin because we'd never been there before. So that was kind of our main point. We were kind of, you know, basing all our routes around there. But um, we kind of just had a look at the Interrail website and they have a number of different passes available. So we chose a pass. We chose the 10, 10 days in two months pass, which means you can hit 10 cities within two months so we picked that one and then we just planned our route from there so you know I'd been to Amsterdam before and I really liked it so we said we'd go back again and Leuven we just saw and we thought it looked great so we were like okay we'll, we'll check this out and then from there you know we thought about going maybe down to Croatia or that kind of thing but in the end we just mapped it out and decided to go down into Italy because I'd actually never been to any part of Italy before so and um, just hit them all with, <laughs> with the one trip as well. And um, what did you put into like I presume it all started with Google did it? Yeah, absolutely. Just started with Google um, and I had heard about the Interrail Pass before. So um, that was kind of my main point. But yeah, just Google and had a look at maps and train routes and that kind of thing. And did you have much free time in each place or was like were you tied to a busy schedule? Uh, yeah, I suppose like when we arrived in Leuven at first, you know, there's a bit to see, but not as much as say in Rome. So we said we'd take one night there. So that was kind of enough for us. But in the likes of Berlin and Prague and even Rome, then we stayed a few different nights. We had plenty of time in those, but um, yeah, we stayed for one night in kind of the rest of the cities. And it was enough for this trip, but definitely I can see how people would want to stay a few days extra. And where would you go back to if you had a week, say, to spend? I'd probably go back to most of them. Definitely I'd go back to Berlin. Um, I'd go back to Prague. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably go to most of them again, just if I, if I was looking to spend a week somewhere. I, I believe I've never been. I want to go, though. I believe Croatia is a beautiful country, a very understated country. Did you get much time there? Yes, yeah, so we didn't go to Croatia on this trip, um, right. but I, I was actually just there um, two weeks ago. So, um, yeah, it, it was absolutely fab. We uh, flew into Zadar and got a bus there from there to Split and got ferries down to Havar Island and down to Dubrovnik as well. So it was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. On the Interrail Pass... Um, you say that in in the article you chose the ten days within a two months pass. Is that right? Yeah. So, and what did that cost? Um. So for the pass and for our like um, seat reservations and stuff, they cost a few quid extra. So for the two of them together, it was five hundred and ten euro each. 
Now we picked um, the first class seat. There's also second class ones available, so they're a little bit cheaper. Um, and there's also cheaper passes as well as that. So options there really for everyone. Wow. So that that was 500 for travel, all in yep. all inclusive. Yep. That's amazing. And that was over a two week period. It was, yeah. We only had about two weeks to take off work, so we just made it work for us. Mm. Now, tell me about um, my experience traveling, say, in Austria on the trains um, and Germany on the trains. I found it very complex because you could have a platform that has three or four trains going to three or four different locations on the one platform. And you're told it's the second train if you keep moving up the platform. Like, did you find there were many problems? Was there a language barrier? Um, not really, no. What we did find, though, um, was in some of the stations, the actual platform number didn't come up until like near the departure time. So in that case, you kind of had to run to make sure you got it. But other than that, it was grand. We kind of allowed ourselves about an hour in the station to you know, find our way around and find stations and that kind of thing. And anyone we did have to ask about, they were helpful. And yeah, it was, it was grand. It wasn't too bad. And is this your first time doing the interrailing thing? Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah and you do it again? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping to do it around Scandinavia next. That's my next plan. Oh, fantastic. And and have you been picking locations there? Uh, I've never been there at all, but the hope is to go to um, into Sweden and then uh, hit a sp- few spots in Norway as well. So, yeah, I have to plan that now. Yeah, and from a family, say two adults, two children, three children, do the, do the younger aged uh, travellers go free or do, do they get a, a, a reduction in cost? Yeah, so with an adult ticket, um, a child goes free. So I think the age is about 4 to 11 that they, mm. you know, have down for it. But yeah, kids go free with an adult pass. So it's a great option for families if they're looking to do something a bit different or whatever. And, you know, I'm sure people would be concerned about, like, keeping kids entertained on the train. But honestly, like, we really enjoyed just looking out the window and watching what was going by. There was a lot to kind of keep you entertained. So um, just bring a book or bring something else for them then as well and, you know, you'll be on your way. Yeah, and Wi-Fi, no, no problem either? Yeah, no problem at all. We watched um, a film or two on one of the longer journeys, but yeah, no, absolutely no problem at all with that. What about overnight trains? Yeah, so we got uh, one overnight train during the journey and that was to bring us from Prague to uh, Venice. Now, we actually had to get off and board another train halfway through that, but um, it was absolutely fine. What I would do if I was to do it again, though, was make sure I'd uh, book a bunk rather than just a seat because we were kind of sat upright for the whole night but it was absolutely fine like it, it didn't bother us that much but definitely I would book a bed next time Yeah Did you have a budget when, when you set out because I'm curious to know in relation to accommodation you've got to stay places between train journeys Yeah no we um, we actually left it quite late uh, to book the trip we only booked it about a few weeks before we headed off so Probably most of the better deals were gone by then, but um, for accommodation, we spent about 1,400 um, in total. So um, definitely, I think there's probably cheaper deals out there, but it wasn't the worst either. Okay, it's fascinating. I re- really enjoyed chatting to you, Rebecca. Thanks for, for having the chat this morning. Thanks, Will. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Um, if you want to look at the article, it's a fascinating article and it's a great idea. Sort of park it for next year, maybe. Uh, she wrote the article, by the way, for the Irish Times and uh, it was on Sunday, July 23rd. So if you Google it, you'll get the full, very extensive, comprehensive article in the Irish Times. Tuesday morning's opinion line is Gareth O'Callaghan for PJ, who's away for a couple of weeks. Now, a punitive road pricing scheme aimed at forcing literally forcing people out of their cars could see commuters paying 38 euro to drive to work while wait for this 
to drive the motorway trip from Cork to Dublin would cost you 163 euro. 163. Connor Faulkner, who's CEO of the Royal Irish Automobile Club, is on the line. It's been a long time since we chatted, Connor. I hope you're well. I'm very well, Gareth, yes. Delighted to talk to you. Delighted to talk to you. Jeez, well, when did we first meet? Many, many years ago in a motorsport context. That's right. That's right. Absolutely. Tell me about this. Uh, to, to travel, which we regularly do, we get into the car. It's a pleasure to drive. It's a lonely old road, but it's a wonderful road. Cork to Dublin, having to pay 163 At the moment, it costs probably about Food, 15 euro each way uh, yeah. through tolls. Why 163 euro? Well, a couple of things. Firstly, the 163 euro, to be honest, Gareth, that was just an alarmist take on it by the Daily Mail yesterday. I think you can just throw that one away. It's one of those kind of early ideas. It's just never, ever going to happen. Um, but the bits of the story that are real, um, government is going to have to find a new way to tax cars. They're going to tax cars. They always have. They're going to tax cars. But historically, taxing them on, on the fuel uh, yielded an awful lot of money, but it's disappeared. And the more that EVs come onto the road, the less excise duty the state is going to collect. Now, they're down 1.5 billion euro per annum. And that's going to get worse from the state's point of view as fossil fuels die out. So the big question for them is, how do they replace that revenue? How do they tax cars in the future when virtually all private cars are electric vehicles? And there's a few different ways in which you could do that. Some of the schemes that have been suggested are nuts and are never going to happen. Like, for example, 163 quid to drive from Cork to Dublin. Uh, that's just not going to happen. Likewise, just upping the amount of tolls everywhere all, all over the network. I sincerely hope that that will never happen. It causes all sorts of collateral problems. It's a lousy solution. But the type of thing that might happen is uh, you being charged per kilometre for every kilometre that your car drives on a public road. And, you know, the, the technology is there to gather all of that information and verify with cameras and all that sort of malarkey. And if you have a regime like that in place, you can also use it to manage traffic. So you can make it more expensive to come into a city during the commuting hour, for example, than it would be to travel in rural Cork. And these are all great ideas, and they're all essentially, Garrett, at the flip chart stage. Um, they're being studied by the state. There are a number of bodies that are looking at it. And what the Daily Mail did yesterday is it, you know, dug out some of the work in progress um, and, 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 and threw it up there as if it was definitely going to happen. So they've exaggerated it, but it is a real story. And we will have to live in a world uh, where we're going to be taxed somehow, but it's no longer going to be primarily on the fuel that we put in. And the city's infrastructures, definitely here in Cork, it can't take any more traffic. No, um, but it can't provide an alternative either. Um, I mean, Cork City is plagued, like all other Irish cities, with, um, with it's underserved by public transport. No insult to the service that is provided, but, you know, obviously Cork doesn't have six Lewis lines and a, and a metro in the centre, um, and it should. You know, if it was a comparable European city elsewhere, it probably would. Um, and likewise, Dublin. I mean, Dublin's a larger city and a larger mess, but the same policy issues, the same policy problems. And, and the no nub of that policy is that we do not adequately provide public transport anywhere near as well as they do elsewhere in Europe. And we therefore have a population with no choice but to use cars. And, and you know, 
your solution to that cannot be tax them ever more for using cars. Um, that's neither fair nor effective. Your solution has to be provide them with alternatives. Um, but in the meantime, they're a great source of tax and uh, the state isn't going to let that go. And I'm curious about the NCT. Um, um, Brian here has just texted. He says, where does the money from our NCT go? Does that go to the government? Well, yes and no. It's a state contract, um, but they uh, tendered it out in very open, clean process. And currently, they, they, the holders are Atlas. They're a Spanish company originally, but they're international. Um, and they operate the service. They do it on a you know fixed fee basis. It's a complicated commercial contract, but there's all sorts of things they have to comply with and stuff they have to do. And in fact, you know they're, they're under some challenge at the moment. They're falling short uh, of their contracted objectives, and they may even... You know, I hope this doesn't happen. Don't think it'd be fair post-COVID. But they're they're more looking like having to pay penalties from the contract, extra money to the government, rather than profiteering in any way. Um, they, they can make money on the contract when they run it well. And uh, to be fair, a lot of people grumble, Gareth, about the, the Irish NCT. But, but it's honestly true to say that when you compare it internationally, it's of pretty good quality as a system. And they problems at the moment the delays aren't great and um, but but it does serve as well has served as well and the elephant in the room connor has to be like every road practically every road from anywhere outside of dublin eventually leads to the m50 and that's the elephant mm. in the room isn't it it's just a, and it's just not um it, it, it it's 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 failed in what it set out to do when it was built well, uh, a, a, a little harsh because, uh, you know, imagine Dublin without the M50. Um, so in one sense, it succeeds magnificently. It provides enormous relief to the city. It, it, you, you can never uh, use something like an M50 to obviate the need to build metro. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we built the M50. We built the port tunnel. Well done. Had we also built a metro system, we wouldn't be in anything like the same bind. But the M50 is kind of a, a good example of the Irish problem. And um, because in the broadest sense, the Irish economy is overly dependent on Dublin, a bit tilted towards Dublin, um, and to Cork to a lesser extent, but definitely Dublin-centric. Um, and our rail network converges on Dublin, our road network converges in Dublin, and that all reinforces the primacy of Dublin. I mean, Dublin Airport is the, the main airport for the whole island. Um, so all roads literally lead to Dublin. Um, and if you've got all roads leading to Dublin and you're not great on public transport, um, then those Dublin roads, like the M50, is a, is a critical piece of Irish state infrastructure. It's at least as important to, you know, people in the petrochemical industry in Cork uh, as it is to the citizens of Dublin. Um, so you know, we're a bit over-dependent on it and um, I guess that's one of our policy challenges, you know, spreading out um, the, the economic activity and tilting it a little bit away from the East Coast. So was your experience in, in the automobile industry down through the years and you have a lot of experience, mm. a lot of hindsight, what would you suggest? How do we overcome the problem that the government now can't figure out a way to to overcome? Right. I, I think in the I think in the end it will look something like road pricing, as in a charge per movement. Um, well, there's data protection concerns and Big Brother concerns, but every modern car, certainly every EV sold, has in it a tracker. It has the ability, if it's in a crash, for example, it automatically tells the emergency services where it is. So there's loads of technology from it. And if you can imagine a, a, a scenario whereby you you you're 
um, you, you are taxed according to how many kilometers you do per year and also when and where you do those kilometers. So it'll be more expensive to drive the M50 uh, than it will be to drive in rural Cork. Um, and in aggregate, the government is going to want that to add up to, well, historically, the motoring sector collectively contributed about $5 billion. Um, but it, it will wind, we'll wind up paying through that mechanism more or less what we pay traditionally through petrol and diesel down through the years. Um, so cost of motoring probably won't go down, might even go up. And um, the huge tax take that we pay will remain, um, but we'll pay it probably based on when and where the car moves. With, with other things you could add to it, a heavier car, uh, paying more tax than a lighter one, that sort of blend. Uh, but ultimately, with a view from the state's perspective of collecting approximately the same amount of revenue that fuel gave them in the old days. And finally, Connor, EVs, the electric vehicle, mm. um, are, is, is it, are, are we still a little bit premature in terms of being a place where EVs are road friendly in the sense that, like, for example, there's a filling station close to where I live. They have two mm. charging bays and a lot of the time the charging bays are blocked by someone who's gone in to pay for a cappuccino. Yeah. Well, you know, at the moment, if you want to use an EV for a longer journey, even within Ireland, you need to be a bit intrepid. You need to track down available chargers, and that's a you know source of stress and worry because it could be blocked, could be broken, um, and then you have to give the thing time to charge. Uh, there's a good friend of mine actually drove an EV down through Spain and uh, seemed like a crazy adventure. I wouldn't do it, um, but for for city driving, EVs are perfect, um, and and they're getting better and better all the time. And um, so it depends how far into the future you want to look, Gareth. Um, but Toyota are you know there's publicity yesterday about Toyota apparently have developed a solid state battery that will give over a thousand kilometers of range and wow. um, now another game changer so I, w I would imagine that if we cast our minds forward say 10 years you will probably live in a world where evs are good for a thousand kilometers and you know what that could spell a total paradigm shift for the roadside service station and um, they may exist only to provide rest breaks and coffee and um, chargers they'll provide them because when you'll need it, you'll need it badly. But in the normal run of things, it would, you know, a, a roadside charger being used will nearly be as rare as a jerry can of petrol. And um, because if you can charge at home and you're good for a thousand kilometres, yeah. uh, you may not need the roadside charger at all. It's true, Connor. Great to talk to you. Gareth, pleasure. Uh, lovely to chat to you. you and, and listen, hope we'll do it again soon. We will. Thank you, Connor Faulkner, there, Royal Irish Automobile Club CEO. Great to talk to you, Connor. Join the conversation. Text or WhatsApp 083 396 9696. This is the Opinion Line with PJ Cooking. Oh, it's 96 FM. Welcome back. 20 past 11. Uh, if you want to get in touch, give us a shout. We'd love to hear what you think of the topics that we're dealing with today. Yesterday, we were talking about products in relation to cosmetics and makeup uh, being tested on animals. We spoke to PETA and also to Glamity Jane about animal testing by beauty companies. And I've got Emma Hogan Air on the line right now, Head of Education and Brand Development with Irish cruelty-free brand Skin Formulas. Morning, Emma. 
Good morning, Garth. How are you? I, I'm very well. I don't know whether you heard the conversation yesterday, but uh, I, I mean, I did indeed. Yeah, the, the, some of the some of the companies and some of the manufacturers of the leading cosmetics in the world. I was quite taken aback because I wasn't aware that they were engaged in animal testing in relation to some of their beauty products. Um, yes. What brought you to this to this whole area? Um, well, I suppose um, as a brand, as, a, as, as you introduced me there, I, I represent a brand called Skin Formulas um, and we are an Irish skincare brand and I suppose as part of our ethos, it was um, very much from the outset, very, very important that we uh, were cruelty free, uh, you know, we're a vegan brand and obviously that fits into the whole ethos of the brand. But, you know, I listened to the piece yesterday yesterday uh, with with Dr. Baines and, and Mary Jane O'Regan and you know I thought it was like first of all it was very shocking but it was also revealing in, in terms of human nature and ethics of brands um, you know and as Dr. Baines said when when regulation comes into play innovation happens um, and I suppose that's that's where we're at as a brand you know it's brand ethics are very important to us and being cruelty free is fundamental to to our ethos you know and as, as uh, Mary Jane said like we are mainly stocked in Ireland and in the UK but we're exploring other global markets now but we won't be going to we won't uh, compromise on on what is ethically right for the brand um, and you know when when you think about what brands are doing in terms of China, um, I thought it was really interesting because I came across this a couple of months ago where um, a brand I'm not not sure if you're familiar with the brand Urban Decay, but yeah. it's a cosmetic brand, makeup brand, um, and they they looked at I suppose a marketing way of of kind of getting around the whole trading in China um, and they launched a digital strategy to to legally circumvent the requirement to test on animals in China so they they had a pop-up store there was no inventory no stock in there um, and the customer purchased via a QR code and the products were delivered directly to their house um, and there was no no reason to have Chinese customs handling the product and therefore no reason to test on animals. So, you know, I love that. that and for us, that's really important to, to see how other brands are finding gateways into markets and not compromising their ethics. So how just to tell me that again. They circumvented the, the legal regulatory requirements of testing. Yeah. How did they do that again? So they they had no they had no stock in China as such. Right. Uh, no stock in mainland China. So they had a pop up store on the ground in China. A customer came in with their phone, shopped via QR code, um, and the products were delivered uh, from outside mainland China. So there was no reason to to test on animals. So you know, like it's obviously we we as a brand have different ways of testing but there's also ways of marketing your brand in markets where you can avoid certain legal requirements um, such as the Chinese have to to test on animals. How do you compete with the massive budgets that these multinational companies spend in order to promote their products? Um, God, that's a that's a good one. You don't you don't really compete. You but you have to work very very hard mm. 
to make sure that you are ticking all the boxes in terms of manufacturing, efficacy of your of your products, um, and partnering with the correct people. Like we have over 100 stockists nationwide and they are all very, very professional um, and they all represent our brand um, in such a way that, um, you know, they're ambassadors of our brand, our stockists that are at the core of our business. Um, we're not interested in in mass market, so it's it's a little bit different as a, as a cosmeceutical. But, you know, as I said, we are exploring different global markets, but um, yeah, we, we've we started, you know, Geraldine Jones is our founder and our CEO. She launched Skin Formulas four and a half years ago um, with 12 products um, and three professional products. And it is growing. You know, it, it, it really has expanded and grown significantly uh, over the past few years. But, you know, really, we're, we're not ever going to be able to compete against the Estee Lauders of the world. Yeah. But we're holding our own. We're doing we're doing very well. That's great to hear. Um, yeah, thankfully. Can you tell me a little bit about this status called Leaping Bunny? Because Professor Baines briefly mentioned it yesterday too. Yes, absolutely. So as a brand, you know, um, like it's 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 very confusing and it's very misleading for a consumer. Like we all see claims like cruelty-free. We do not test on animals. Um, you know, a brand may state this, but but uh, that doesn't mean that a company is not testing on animals. It may mean a brand contracts in another company to do the testing. Um, and it may also refer to the finished product, but not the raw materials. Um, so as a brand, we obviously had, you know, claimed cruelty-free, but we went that step further um, and we attained Leaping Bunny status. And the Leaping Bunny program is basically a, it's the best assurance uh, that a product is free from animal testing. It's quite a strict program, very, very strict criteria. Um, as a company, you must set up a supplier monitoring system to ensure all suppliers, your manufacturers comply with Leaping Bunny criteria. Um, so basically, it's a corporate standard of, of compassion for animals, and it audits you, you annually um, and audits your suppliers and manufacturers annually to make sure that everyone is adhering to the standards. So it's a, it's a, brilliant, it's a brilliant program to ensure that everyone is complying um, and that the customer can see uh, who is most definitely cruelty-free. Well, continued success with the demo. Uh, the, the website is www.skinformulas.ie. Nice to talk to you this morning. Lovely to talk to you. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you. That's Emma Hogan Air, their Head of Education and Brand Development with Irish cruelty-free brand Skin Formulas. Skinformulas.ie if you want to investigate a little bit more on that. John says, in relation to the fresh air charge, this is yet another ingenious way of charging people. It would not surprise me if there was, oh sorry, a fresh air tax on the way. I was wondering what you mean that there. Uh, the government, so great at taking, so poor at giving. OxyContin, uh, Gareth, OxyContin is not for pain. I had a very serious road traffic accident a year ago. I nearly died. I took half of one of them when I was leaving hospital until I collected my prescription. Awful stuff. Twitching and brain racing. Only a mental distraction rather than a pain management drug it's so addictive I'd say I threw away the other ones 
Thanks from Rob. And uh, Michael Lee, great to hear from you, Michael. He says, Gareth, great to hear you back on 96FM. A very entertaining show as always. Keep up the great work. I will, and thank you for that. We were talking about dating disappointments, dating disasters. Phil says, um, uh, she's been in touch. She says, uh, she would like to meet Dennis. Ooh, so we will try to organise that. Okay, um, we'll make sure that you're put in touch with each other. Thanks, Phil. The wheels are turning on that one. And says, Jesus, Gareth, tell every single person to get down to Kinsale. Everyone is separated here. All looking for partners. Not me, mind. But so many singletons here. Uh, but I'm not going on air. That's um, from Myra. Thank you so much for that. Kinsale. Right. Uh, Paul says, I'm convinced some women in Cork just go on a load of dates to get the free dinner. <laughs> I've been on a number of dates and I always pay for the meal. Then I hear nothing back from the girls even though we hit it off it's the free grub they're after I'm sure um, also in relation to the scorching hot weather conditions the dangerous dangerous weather conditions in parts of Greece particularly roads at the moment uh, caller said I've been listening to the show talking about all the hot weather recently so Bella Italia uh, in Italy is a hugely popular campsite for Irish people I've been there myself and I have their Facebook page in my newsfeed they just had terrible weather and I'm looking at hailstones from yesterday uh, in Bella Italia hailstones in Italy oh you'd really wonder what's happening wouldn't you now got an email from uh, John Broderick he says I have a serious concern about a spider my daughter was unfortunate enough to find in her house during the week. It looks like nothing I have ever seen before and it looks really ominous. Can you tell me if I need to be concerned? She's frantic of an infestation. Please, can you send the attached image to the relevant authorities for clarification? Uh, Maybe it's of national importance and a public notice issued. I've heard a lot of stories in and around Middleton here and maybe some advice or a public awareness notice should be issued on some media platform to provide a safety insurance. Um, I'm looking at the the, uh, the spider. Now, obviously, it's been magnified on the picture here because if that's the real thing, we should all be in... Uh, we should all be getting on board buses and getting out of the city, that's for sure. Um, I don't know whether it's the false widow spider, I think that's the name of it, but... Uh, Brandon Collier, who's been studying the noble false widow spiders in Ireland for his master's research, is uh, joining me on the line now. Good morning to you, Brandon. Morning, Gareth. How are you? Fine. Now, as I said, this is magnified 15, 20 times, so I'd say in, in normal life it would look quite harmless. Although I've seen it before and it doesn't look, it looks pretty ominous, doesn't it? Is it the, the false widow? Yes. Um, so it does look ominous in that picture, of course, all blown up like that. But in reality, they're no they're no bigger than a two euro coin. But yes, that is a Steatoto nobilis, noble false widow. It's like a jellyfish with giant, um, giant claws, isn't it? It, it? Like these, like something out of uh, Starship Troopers. I don't know whether you remember that movie. Uh, it turned into a franchise after a while about these huge killer monsters that were like giant spiders. Well, of course, yes. Um, I've heard it described as a blueberry with legs as well. Oh, yeah. Is it dangerous? Is it dangerous? So to human health, it does have some risk, but very, very rare. Uh, so of all the spiders in Ireland, it is the most venomous. Um However, uh, it is widely distributed, and it causes more effects to native populations of spiders than it does to humans. And where did it come from? Where did it come from? They originate in uh, the Canary Islands in Madeira. Um, 
They were transported into Ireland probably 20, 30 years ago, and they've spread since. And who would have transported them? Would they have come in in clothing in a suitcase? <laughs> I don't imagine so. Probably on ships, especially in different containers, especially fruit. Um, that's kind of the likely vector. But we do know for sure that they originated in the country uh, with large populations in Dublin. Wow. And how many approximately would you would you know that are here at the moment? And wh- what sort of conditions do they look like? Do they they look for in order to to breed? That's a good question. So the number of the actual spider in the country right now is unknown. However, um, I just recently got done surveying the entire country all the way up um, each of the corridors in the country, and it was present in all of them. So if that gives you an idea. Um, and in terms of conditions in Ireland, they're pretty general. Um, they mostly stick around human-made properties and settlements outside so uh, they're most likely to be found outside. Some might crawl through windows, etc., and that's how they end up indoors. And if you have pets, are, are you, do do the likes of dogs and cats scare these creatures off? Good question. Um, I don't imagine so. I think in general, spiders have very very poor eyesight, especially these, and they're not aggressive. So they'll pretty much hold their ground, and if anything comes near, they'll retreat. And if they do get onto your skin, Brandon, can they can they bite you? Can they sting you? They can bite if provoked. Um, most bites happen on bed sheets for a reason. It's because they get tangled up. They don't know what to do. And if it ends up on your skin, they will pretty much instinctively bite whatever they can. And it can leave a nasty bite. However, the more severe symptoms are very, very rare. And how do you discourage them? <laughs> Short of showing them how the door. How do you discourage them? <laughs> right. Good question. Um, honestly, um, these spiders are no have no more of a chance of causing an infestation than other spiders in Ireland. So I guess um, revert, like revert to old wives' tales. Get some peppermint oil and try your best to get them out. Pesticides will do nothing but harm the entire arthropod community and ecosystem so it's best just to find little other things you know get them onto a little bit of tissue and put them out in the garden around a a bush or something yeah absolutely get a cup a piece of paper just move them outside if you can and if you're not comfortable with it try to find somebody who is and if not um one killed spider is not going to hurt the whole uh, community. The ecosystem. Where, where did arachnophobia <laughs> come from? Has it always been present or was it the, that film um, which I saw, which is absolutely terrifying when I saw it? Um, it is, is it a, a very, is it a prevalent fear, arachnophobia, the fear of spiders? I would say it is. Um, even before the movie, which scared the daylights out of me as a kid, yeah. um, it's more of an innate human fear. So it's one of those things like the fear of falling, the fear of the dark. The fear of spiders has always been ingrained in human beings for tens, if not hundreds of thousands of years. Right. Okay. Fascinating. You've made us even more scared now, but that's good. It'll keep us, <laughs> it'll keep us focused. <laughs> and, and I'm just wondering, you, you said, just finally, you said they were the size of a two euro coin. Is that right? Yes. And from, I'm looking at a black and white photograph here. So what sort of color uh, should we look for if, if we were to, to wonder if it is the false widow? 
Good question. So they vary in color anywhere from a sort of darker brown to full on um, all black and all melanated. But all of them usually share some sort of patterning, especially this kind of cream crescent right on the front of their abdomen. You can also tell um, if they are a false widow, if they're in a web and they're upside down and if they are large it's probably not you know another steatota species steatota grossa which is the covered spider so they look pretty distinct and especially in size and finally can we expect poisonous spiders here looking way ahead into the future will our climate change to the point where uh, they will be resident here all year round (laughs) You know, it's one of those things that people always wonder. And with climate change and with the rising global temperatures, the future is kind of unknown on that. Um, Ireland itself is inhospitable to true black widows and um, other steatota species to our knowledge. But who knows, maybe in the future, synentropic or human-made habitats may be home to some new creatures. Right. Great conversation, Brandon. And uh, good luck and continued help with um, your research. Gotcha. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, Brandon. Where are you from, Brandon? I'm from Indiana in the US. All right. Okay. Great to talk to you. Thank you so much. That's uh, Brandon Collier there from Indiana studying actually his master's uh, for his master's research at uh, University of Galway. That's the false widow. Um, so now you, you, if you see it, you'll know whether it is or not. Now, uh, a lot of people locally talking about the state of the traffic on the Mallow Road and many people with many different notions as to what's causing it. But um, uh, from our newsroom, Katie O'Keefe is, joins me on the phone. You were late for work yesterday, Katie. Hi, guys. Yeah, <laughs> there, there was almost no news yesterday. I know, <laughs> I know, yeah. But they didn't They didn't give out to you, did they? They, they didn't, luckily. I have very good colleagues. <laughs> what happened? You were coming in from, from the Mallow direction, yeah? Yeah, so I was going from Donrail and um, got there my usual time. It usually takes me about 40 minutes. And I was actually stuck near the turn off to like C103 Studios and Mallow um, Primary Healthcare Centre. I was stuck there for 40 minutes. Wow. Yeah. Like, and, and just barely moving a few centimetres. Knowing that you had to read the two o'clock bulletin it didn't help the nerves, I'd say. No, it wasn't good time. Yeah. So, and what what is it? it? And my theory, we were just talking about it this morning, is that McCurtain Street is closed off now from just below here, Patrick's Hill. So you've got to go out through the side streets out onto what is the end of the beginning of the Mallow Road to bring yourself back onto the Keys again. And that's adding huge traffic problems during rush hour traffic to what already is a bottleneck, isn't it? Yeah, so this would be kind of further out of the city. This is much closer to Mallow. Um, they're, they're just doing roadworks at the moment, but I, I don't know if the stop and start kind of situation is working because where it is... There is no diversion. You can't go a different route. So you have to stay there if you're going to Cork or you're coming from Cork and going to Mallow. Right, okay. And I'm just wondering, would, would is the train an option? I know the train, like Kent Station, it's probably a 20-minute walk from 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 the, the town itself, from the city. Um, I notice a lot of people are taking the train now and there's, there are plans for, I think, uh, at Rathduff, they're talking about possibly building a small commuter station there. Would that alleviate the problem if more people took the train? Um, I, I guess it would, but like in my circumstance, I wouldn't have 
the public transport infrastructure in Donrail to get me to the train station to yeah. then get me to Cork. So that would only work for people in Mallow because it would defeat the purpose if I had to drive to the train station to get the train. Yeah, that's that's that's, that's common sense, yeah. That's very that's why you're a great journalist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well we'll be looking forward to hearing you at two o'clock. Hopefully I make it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Katie. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Now, um, just coming up to, what is it, 12 minutes to 12 midday. The Gaelic for Mothers and Others group in West Cork are thrilled to have been asked to, wait for this, perform at halftime at the senior football final in Crow Park on Sunday, August 13th. And on the phone is Karen O'Callaghan, who's uh, a coach of the Iban Ladies Gaelic for Mothers and Others team. And she's on the phone. Hi, Karen. Hi, Gareth. How are you doing? Have you ever stepped foot on the, the, the hallowed grass of Crow Park? Only on the tour, Gareth. Yeah, but now you're <laughs> going to play on it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm coaching. Mm, all right, yeah. So you yeah, get, you're in charge so of the we'll players. we be part yeah. of it. Yeah. yeah. How, tell me, first of all... Um, how, how did the, the the whole Gaelic for Mothers and Others project okay. come about? Yeah, okay, so our club overall is a generally young club. It was formed in 2015, and there was a few of us at um, the upper age limits, you know, were involved with the junior club, and then we kind of decided, okay, we need something other than the competitive side, and we'd seen a few clubs around, so we decided to go first last year. So last year was the first year of the Gaelic for Mothers and Others so we kind of put the feelers out there and I think the first training session there was nearly 40 women showed up. Yeah. So that was fantastic. Yeah, so absolutely. Gone from strength to strength there and um, the IBEAN, um our umbrella club has been fantastic, you know, in supporting us and the two local GA clubs as well that we're dependent on for facilities, Aragadeen Rangers and Barry Row. So they've been fantastic as well and it has grown from strength to strength really. Yeah. And where did it all start for each of you? I take it you were playing at, at club level years ago, were you? No, I was actually a camogie player. Right. Um, so I played all the ways along. And then um, a couple of us set up the club in 2015 just to give local girls, you know, an opportunity to play in their local community. Um, so the the club, like, takes in a couple of parishes. You have Barrow, Tim League and Balanascarty are the official catchment areas of the club. Mm-hmm. Um, so I suppose, you know, there's a lot of girls playing underage and then we were getting people to get involved, you know, in volunteering roles and that. And, you know, you meet a lot of people on sidelines and on the banks of pitches and that, and you get talking and the whole idea, you know, of the mothers and others and providing an opportunity for ladies to be part of the, the playing side of things. Now, obviously, it's non-competitive. Yeah. The whole ethos of the Gaelic for mothers and others is, you know, an inclusive, non-competitive social atmosphere, you know, which is great. And there's no pressure um, at training. You know, we try to get as much touch, um, ball touch as possible. But I suppose the, the bottom line is that there's crack at training every Thursday. And as I said to the girls the first night, it's a non-judgmental environment. And if anyone has any ideas of being judgmental, they can walk back out of it. <laughs> okay. But it's a great social outlet as well, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. Like, we've taken part in blitzes. We've run blitzes. Um, like, the crack is mighty, both on the bus trip, you know, to the blitzes, the playing. And, like, everyone gets uh, rolled on and off, you know, and to try different positions and, and everything, you know. Um, there's no such thing as you're a full back or you're a full forward. You yeah. know, everyone gets to play kind of whatever they want and take part. 
And I suppose the big, one of the big motiv- motivating factors for me was, um, I have, I always say, you know, monkey see, monkey do. And the amount of kids who have been encouraged to take part um, following the mothers and others, and as well at training, we're all training away and you see all the kids and groups, you know, up at the other side of the goal or whatever, and they're all playing around with each other while their mammies are at training, which is fantastic as well. You know, mm. it's kind of a reverse situation where the mammies are out playing on the pitch and the kids are at the yeah. sideline cheering them well, on. We we've put in the stints, you know, driving to training, cleaning the dressing rooms, <laughs> organising the coffee morning, <laughs> supporting all the club. So um, it's great, and <clears throat> as well as that, one mum said to me that her, you know, her daughter has kind of shied away from playing any sport mm. and is now fully involved in one of the underage teams because she had so much exposure with her mum playing. So yeah. like that's fantastic. That's an achievement. And what's the, what's the impression among the, the, you know, your sons and daughters? Are they very proud? <laughs> <I'd> <laughs> Are they mortified? Mix, it's a mix. <laughs> <laughs> some days they're mortified and some days they're really proud. Yeah. Just um, like, um, like, I, I Bane is one club, so how many other um, okay, so mothers and mothers clubs are there in Cork? In Cork, County Cork, there are 45. Yeah, so there's a lot of new clubs this year in, in the area. So it's fantastic because, you know, it, it provides more opportunities for matches than that. So, you know, even in West Cork, I think there's two or three new clubs this year alone. And are you getting any funding from the GAA? Um, so, not directly, no. Um, now, I did apply for um, a grant, you know, through Age Opportunity, and we got some grants that way. Now, I must give a shout-out to some of the local businesses. I won't name them, but... Um, you know, since we've gotten through to Coe Park, people have come forward with support. And to be honest, the local community have always been great to support the club, our Bain ladies as a whole. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So yeah. On, on, on the big Sunday in mm-hmm. August, what's going to happen? This is obviously at half time, isn't it? Well, you see, we don't know. We have to be up there for 11.30 in the morning, but we don't know which game we're playing in at half time. So it could be the junior, the intermediate or the senior game. And we won't know that until the day. Yeah. So we all have to assemble um, in Co Park at eleven thirty, and basically take it from there. Right. Okay. But I, I would imagine you're confident it will be yourselves, will it? Oh yeah. Well, like we will be playing at, at half time in one of the games. We just don't know which oh, game which, we will be playing. Which of the final games? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get you. And what what exactly is going to happen when you do get on pitch? I take it it's a shorter pitch because I always it think is. that while the the Crow Park pitch is no bigger than any other GAA pitch, it looks. 10 times bigger when you're watching it on TV. <laughs> yeah, so what'll happen is there's under 12 teams and Gaelic from others and other teams So in on both halves of the pitch. So one half will be the under 12s and the other half. So we'll be playing across rather than up and down. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it'll be a shorter pitch. There are 10 players. So um, like out of, we have a group, we have 37 um, kind of in, in the Gaelic from others and other side of it. So only 10 player spots are available. So that's that's fun part as well. Um, so those ten players that are selected will obviously get to play um, at halftime. And that'll be the lottery. It'll be a draw. Yeah. 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 Great. Names, Car- names into a hat. Great. <laughs> Looking forward to seeing you all on that day, Karen. Nice to talk to you as well today. 
Thanks a million. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Take okay, care. take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Karen O'Callaghan there, uh, the coach with Ibane Ladies Gaelic for Mothers and Others. 45 MNO clubs around Cork and we wish them all uh, during the actual final, the football final at Crow Park on the 13th. Now, we opened the show today, we spoke to Neville, who, if you were listening earlier on, is furious about the GAA shutting down his much-loved GAA crack Facebook page and it prompted a call from Joe's on the line. Hi, Joe. Hello, good afternoon, or sorry, good morning, Garrett, how are you doing? Good, nice great to talk, to, talk to, you. to you too, and I'm delighted to chat to you. Now, um, th- this, I I can't figure out why they shut it down, because it's promoting the GAA, it's it's keeping the whole game alive for days after it's played, and it's 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 an incredible build-up for 300,000 GAA fans ahead of big games, uh, locally and nationally. Um, what do you think of it? I think it's an absolute disgrace what they're doing to uh, the RDG members. Um, you see it there, like even with that statement that Joe Canning made last Sunday night regarding that man that was sick there, you know. Um, no, I didn't know much about the story until I saw it on Sunday night. It just shows you that the GA are living a kind of a North Korean-style policy, you know, like that, that kind of like the, um, you know, it's either us or, or, or you don't do, as we say, We'll just cut you down, you know, that mm. kind of thing. And uh, it's getting dangerous. And i tell you something, there's no democracy anymore regarding them because they seem to have this thing now, and you see it there now with the All-Ireland Finals, the way the All-Ireland Finals have been moved to uh, July. There's no build-up to them anymore. Like you had years ago, you had at least three to four weeks of a build-up. But now it's just straight into the thing. And I don't agree with that. And I think they're, they're cutting their nose to bite their own chin, really. Mm. And in relation to the GA go as well, you see that carry on the way it carried on there with the Cork Tipperary game. Yeah. It just shows you like that the organization is in depth in greed. Yeah. And that is not what the uh, GA is about. Like the GA is about the community, it's about the family, it's about the ordinary people who support the game. And they're turning it into some sort of a regime whereas if you say anything about the hierarchy, you're going to be kicked into the teeth and yeah. You know, I don't agree with it. And I think uh, I would totally would, I would support uh, that man this morning, what he said. Um, you know, I think it's outrageous and it shouldn't be allowed to happen. Yeah. And of course, dare we mention Taylor Swift and the amount of money the GAA will make in August. Uh, yeah, but that's, uh, yeah, but that's what I'm saying. Like you have Coldplay yeah. playing there now next year in August. Mm-hmm. And all, what about all that money? Where's that going to go? Is that going to go to the grassroots? I don't think it will. Maybe buried underneath the grassroots. I wouldn't be surprised, yeah, because like you see the way they're carrying on, like they're 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 a regime, they're 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 a lot to themselves. Mm. They're a lot to themselves, and I tell you something, I wouldn't trust them as far as I throw them. And you call them the Grab All Association of Ireland. The Grab All Association of Ireland. That's what they're known as. Everybody in this country would tell you that. Like they don't give they don't give a monkeys about the ordinary people, uh, people who support them. Like you see that with all Ireland finals. People, I know people who have gone to matches for years upon years. They support every game throughout the season. But when it comes to the All-Ireland Final, there's not a hope they can get a ticket. Yeah. Thanks, Joe. Nice to talk to you. You too, Gareth, and good luck. Take Thank care. You. Thank you very much. Today's show was edited by Emer O'Hay, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. Thank you once again to Wayne on the desk. We're back in the morning from nine. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods 
for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.